Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting Tuesday night edition of Wrestling with the Future. I'm your host, Psychic Meet Angelo, and my boys are with me back in town. Back in town, indeed. Dan the Man Sebastiano. How you doing, Danny? I'm good, Angelo. You're looking back in black, show. brother. Sharp hat. My Try. boy's back in black. <laughs> Beautiful. So let me ask you a question. How you faring with the wife gone? Hey, you know, uh, we're recording, so I'll be careful it, how you that answer it's, uh, that. It's miserable. I wish she was here. There you go. He's, in other words, Mikey, he's taking the fifth. Life lessons with Dan the man. <laughs> exactly. And Mr. Marvelous himself, Mike the movie maker, Messier. How you doing, brother? I'm doing good. Uh, an unusually rainy day here in uh, Jacksonville, Florida. But, uh, really? Jackson- yep. Today we had uh, rain, wow. and it, my friends in New England told me it was sunny up here. But um, Oh, brother, it's, it's been hotter than Hades up here today. Yeah. So yeah, we had a little bit of... Uh, I got to push my camera back just a little tad bit. Here we go. So, uh, gentlemen, uh, interesting week in wrestling. Um, got some live events happening, Ashley. Uh, we, we lost a hero and we lost a victim this week. So it's been in, uh, kind of a, an emotional roller coaster up and down a little bit. Uh, we'll talk about both of those cases, but let's talk about the return of, uh, live crowds to indie shows. Danny. Yeah, I heard, uh, several of the smaller promotions are starting to phase in live crowds and the, on the larger scale, the WWE is going to take a page out of AEW's playbook and start using in uh, a non-enhancement talent. Their uh, trainees and their yeah. uh, NXT trainees and their school trainees to fill the crowd, a couple dozen. Just to add ambiance, anybody who watched the yeah. uh, recent Raw could tell the difference. Although oh, sure. D- WWE has the uh, hockey, the hockey plexiglass wall up, which I must say was insanely distracting. I, you know what, Dan, I'm glad you said something about that because I was going to touch on it. Um, you know, I, I, I get them stealing the AEW idea for, you know, filling, you know, a rather empty room. Mm-hmm. But what the hell were they? Oh, who? I don't even want to ask whose idea it was. I already, I already know whose idea that was. But yeah, it is you know, insanely distracting to use your words exactly. Uh, is is the, exactly the best way to put it. it it's ridiculous. I it, also couldn't help but notice the the trainees in the crowd. Uh, they they weren't there were no chairs. They were standing the entire time. I yeah, thought that I was know. kind what of was rough having about? them stand for a because what Raw's yeah. a three hour show. Yeah, what the hell was that? I, training I don't exercise. Know, you go from empty chairs to having a crowd standing in behind plexiglass. It just yeah. Did you hear what Mikey said? It was a training exercise. It was like Oldie yeah. Anderson, how bad you want to be here. You'll stand for a three-hour boring Raw if you like it or not, yeah. if you want to be in our company. <laughs> right. Well, I, I'll tell you what. Just when you think they they couldn't get any worse, uh, they managed somehow, God bless them, to top themselves. Yeah. Um, you j- it was one of those I just had to sit there and go, you know, just kind of shake my head and go, well, you know, <laughs> look, look who the captain of the ship is, fellas. Right. You know, it seems to me it's not, um, not all it's, there. Go ahead, Mikey. It seems to me to be a way of kind of CYA for people who know what that stands for. Oh, cover sure. yeah, cover, cover your, your 
Right, cover your assets or cover your ass because it's like uh, the WWE wants to say, hey, we're doing whatever we possibly can to protect our employees <laughs> from this forced, um, well, it gives the visual impression, even though, yeah. as we know, both Roman Reigns uh, has not been with the company since WrestleMania. Yeah. And uh, the Intercontinental Championship, once held by Sami um, Zayn, yeah. was uh, forced to be vacated and have a tournament. And that could come back to be a, a storyline if Sami comes back and faces the winner of that tournament. But Well, uh, I, I have some news for you guys on the uh, Who Wants Out Club. Uh, the last time we gathered, uh, in fact, the three of us, uh, there were several people that were asking for their releases. And as I said... I hinted toward a couple of high-profile individuals wanting their releases. Roman Reigns is one of them. Interesting. Be clear about that. He's one of them. Interesting. Interesting. Charlotte is another one of them, and so is Bailey. That's that's they're, uh, they're both, really interesting. That's beyond yeah. interesting. Yeah, they're they're both um, they're asking uh, to be let go. Uh, in Charlotte's case, she's been denied once. Uh, Bailey, I don't know what the deal is. She's still there. Uh, unless they, they think there's something there that they can utilize her for. I know she does have experience running the gorilla position, and she's got experience in the back. But she's a wrestler. And, you know, Mikey, uh, wrestlers want to wrestle. You know, and, and Dan, that's, you know, that's why they they signed up for the big show. You know, they want to wrestle. Yeah. The uh, the story coming out as far as the Charlotte side goes, while she hasn't said anything, the company yeah. has thrown some money and, and a couple of uh, nibble. Uh, what is that? Like tried to get a nibble out of Ric Flair, see what yeah. other positions he wants. Uh, and and they Dirt sheets coming out now is that the company's trying to try buy Ric Flair off as a way to appease his daughter. Yeah, I I heard that. Uh, the, you know, they spun it in such a way where they said that he has resigned with them. Mm -hmm. Well, he hasn't resigned with them because he can't resign with them. He can't. Not? He's not under contract. He's he's no longer part of a Legends contract either. Okay. So he, he cannot resign with them in any way, shape, or form. The only thing they can do, and it's my sneaky suspicion that this is what happened, because he and Vince are close, they probably made a gentleman's agreement uh, between the two of them and said, look, uh, look, look, pal, uh, you know, I'll throw a couple dollars in your pocket and uh, you'll hang around and... Uh, and make the rounds for us. What do you think, pal? Well, I mean, they did that in the uh, they did that in the '90s with uh, Dutch Mantel, and um, they certainly did. Uh, who was who was the other one? It was Dutch Mantel and another legend. They had entirely on the payroll just to hang out in the locker room and tell stories. It was the only way to keep them away from other promotions. I'm trying to remember. I do remember that. God, who was that? Bret Hart? Mikey, who was it? <laughs> uh, I mean, it, Pat Patterson, maybe? Pat Patterson? No, he, Patterson had no, a position. No, it wasn't Pat. This was, you, 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 you hear stories from people like like JR and Jim Cornette, and they'll say how they, you know, they would hang out with, 
with Dutch Mantel and I want to say it was Ole Anderson, but I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think it was um, Ole. I mean, it could could have been. No, I, you know what? I'm I'm thinking. I don't know why. And Mike, correct and Dan, correct me if you think I'm wrong. I'm thinking it might have been Fit Finley. It's quite possible, I, I, but but Fit worked with I the may women. Be wrong. I think um, it, I think that I, th I don't think that's right because Fit wasn't there until after WCW went under. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're yeah. right. I'm thinking yeah. these are the guys that could possibly get Blackjack Mulligan, the Briscoes. Uh, who's the uh, my boy guy? The old promoter who's at my oh, boy. Jim Barnett. Jim Barnett. Um, the guy that once booked both WWF and, and NWA at different times. Uh, I'm trying to think of his name. Um, uh, but the, the, the Blackjack Mulligan, um, Strongbow, Fred Blassie. I mean, there was a lot of guys, from what I understand, that were kind of Vince favorites that they didn't right. want going anywhere else. And um, they you're not talking about the uh, George um... Scott. Yeah, that's George. Yeah, Scott. George. Okay, yeah, exactly. I thought you were who I was thinking Scott. of. Yeah, I was thinking of George Scott. I mean, yeah. um, Vince um, had a lot of guys that he looked after, and some yeah. guys like Captain Lou Albano. Apparently, his father looked after. And when yeah, you say, well, Vince didn't like Lou. Vince Jr. didn't like Lou, but Vince... No, C that's well documented. They did right. not, you know... I, I shouldn't say they did not like each other. Um, I don't think Lou gave a shit either way. Because <laughs> he just was the kind of guy. He was, he was Vince making money whether Vince clear. loved it or not. Yeah, but, but, but Vince Jr. made it real clear. He didn't like Lou. He didn't like his drinking. He didn't like his... Uh, unorthodox ways but don't forget you know lou was old school he got away with stuff for decades right right with but you got to understand the history there lou albano was amusing to vince senior he made him laugh yeah that's why he kept him around captain lou got great deal heat it really and is Angelo, my my belief is that Captain Lou Albano, for whatever reason, is becoming a forgotten legend. I mean, uh, people of this generation will harp on how great Bobby the Brain Heenan is and was, yeah. well deserved. But Captain well, Lou, Captain Lou Albano, the Grand Wizard, and Classy Freddie Blassie at one time were the Triangle of Terror, and that funny lasted. You about should say that, Mikey. Funny well, you should say that, my boy. Well, my they, boy, my boy, I say that, my boy. But didn't that try? Uh, I got something to tell you guys. Sure. Uh -oh. We're going to have a show. Decided, um, I was going to spring it on you Thursday, but I'll do it now. We're going to have a show on wrestling with the future called Relatively Speaking, and it will feature Pam Allen, Gordon Soley's daughter. Okay, okay. I got her book. Cami Albano, Lou's daughter. Right. And it's going to feature another surprise wrestling child. I got to keep at least one of them a surprise. Of course. Absolutely. I've, I've got Gordon Soley and his daughter's book. If that's the same daughter that co-wrote Gordon's book. Yeah. Then I've got a copy of that book, uh, Mere Feet from Me. And yeah. I've got a Captain Lou Albano LJN figure that I purchased recently. I know, so. and you're never without it, Mike. It's like your American Express card. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I got my Captain Lou. I could go get him right now, but I won't. I... So, yeah. Um, so that's what's going on. We're going to have a... We're going to have a... Um, oh. oh and the son of uh, 
Bobby Fulton come on the show. His name is Dylan Hines. Nice. Is he wrestling? I hope you're on the show. Uh, and I know Mike. I know that you know Dylan. I I actually uh, rang and introduced for his father, Bobby Fulton. Uh, that was my first ring announcing gig, and Bobby Fulton was one of the most gracious and nice guys on the card. Yeah. That was in Greensboro, North Carolina, that I did my first ring announcing gig. Yeah, great guy, great guy, and he's. Uh, I wish him you know good health right now. He's having some issues. Uh, speaking of issues we've had some issues in wrestling this week one of them completely uh unavoidable the other completely avoidable um of course you know uh dan the man you touched on the uh passing of shad gaspard who uh was swept under by a rip current in california managed to save his son through some quick acting lifeguards but he uh he lost his life the uh, you know the final act of a, a father hero. Absolutely. And uh, unfortunately, just days later, uh, a young 22-year-old Japanese uh, woman wrestler named Hana Kimura committed suicide as a result of what's called, what's being called, I should say, uh, an alleged bullying incident. Now, I know, Mikey, you've got some info to share on that and then danny i'll uh i'll let you pick up where mikey left off okay go ahead Mike. Well, well full disclosure i was not uh and this is not disrespectful but i was not familiar with her work or her career until saturday and then i did some research on hana kimura she was not only a professional wrestling with um stardom japanese women's group and she was one of the top stars there if not the top star there she was also on a show called terrace house i had no idea what terrace house was it's a netflix series it's going on its fifth or sixth season it's yeah. from japan and it's kind of the japanese version of big brother now the show is so popular oh. the, the show terrace house is so popular in japan that it's been yeah. subtitled for Netflix for American audiences. So if you have Netflix, I'm, like I, I'm not familiar with it. I've never. Well, I, it. I wasn't either until this unfortunate suicide. Yeah. So Saturday night, I stayed up till six in the morning, uh, starting with the most recent episode of Terrace House, and I found myself in episode twenty, where Hana comes in. It's uh, the idea of the show is six singles in their twenties, so very good looking yeah. people. Um, Hana. When she comes on to this show on episode 20 of Terrace House, she lights this thing up. She is um, half Japanese, half Indonesian. She's got star quality. She's got these pink wow. braids. And every guy in the house is twisting their neck to take a look at their new roommate. Well, and, I, I'll tell you what, you know, not for nothing, you know, God rest her soul. She's a beautiful girl. Well, this is, um, this is and this what's, sad. what's yeah. really you know, the irony of it is that she's more famous now in death than she ever was to most people in life. I know, you know, like many people, Dan, I, I think we, you'd be hard pressed to say that you knew who she was before Saturday. Yeah. The, the average wrestling fan, if best case scenario would have known her in passing. And that's not uh, a knock on her at all. It's just, she had the, the, she was huge in Japan as Mikey touched on. And she did yeah. do, uh, I believe it was one appearance, one or two appearances with, uh, uh, excuse me, with All Elite. Um, it's part of, you know, they, they did the international outreach when they first started. Mm -hmm. But um, 
yeah, yeah. Outside of Japan, I mean, you can name a hundred Japanese wrestlers that are huge, and yeah. the average the average American fan's not going to know them. Um, it's yeah. interesting. Her influence might get uh, pretty be, be profound more so because one of the big stories coming out now is obviously, like Mikey said, other than wrestling, she was also a huge reality TV star. Japan, yeah, uh, Parliament, and and I knew none of that. Which yeah, prompts this question, Dan. Um, do you think that it's worth uh, you and I doing or, or exploring the subject of Japanese wrestling on the show? I don't think we've ever broached it here before. Uh, I mean, it might be a topic depending on how you look at it. The influence J Japan has. I mean, you look at uh, anybody that looks at some of the tapes. You Anybody from uh, Bruiser Brody to Hulk Hogan wrestling in yeah. japan there oh, i mean sure. I, Hulk hogan's in japan doing high knee lifts drop kicks and, and mat wrestling you know it, everybody's interesting you say that it's and i'm going to stop you right there because it's really interesting that you say that i had this conversation not two days ago with the guy who saw hulk wrestle in japan mm -hmm. and said he actually wrestled a wrestling match but they, they, he said to me, they, they, whoever they are, the promoters, I suppose, they would not let him wrestle here. They protected him. He was a marketing tool to get butts in the seats. Mm -hmm. He was over like Rover with the kids, with the, you know, with the, the moms and dads that spent money right. on Hulkamania foam fingers and all this other, well, you know, assorted garbage. The, that's part of the, his, uh, split from the AWA was that Ver, they say Verangania had wanted some of Hulk's Japanese money and some of it because Verangania's narrative was I made you before you went to Japan I, I should get a cut of the money to your yeah I think it was actually you that told me that <laughs> yeah now I knew Vern was tough to do business with but you know I mean you know what's right is right but you know that's I think that's a really unreasonable request yeah by any standards. Uh, going back to the, the story at hand, though, something we maybe look at down the road is Japan. They're the lead, obviously, they're you know one of the world's leading industrial powers when it comes to like connectivity and Internet and whatnot. They're yeah. in the process now of, of beginning debates on cyberbullying laws uh, because yeah. of this incident. And they, they could fare well be one of the first countries to pass major sweeping legislation. Yeah, I'll outside, tell you what. Outside of outside of some of the bullying laws in the United States that hold people yeah. le legally accountable for well Japan is a very progressive culture um, certainly uh, a problem well, not probably certainly the most progressive in the Far East right. uh, that I know of I don't know how China fares or Indonesia uh, or some of the Far East uh, countries and territories but Mikey um, what do you think? You think it's worth exploring the uh, the Japanese question? Well, if as far as us co covering the Japanese uh, wrestling promotions, I'd be up for exploring it. I know that a couple of years ago, I uh, was starting to get into New Japan a little bit before yeah. AEW launched, and I was looking for an alternative. This yeah. is what I discovered, uh, you know, just on a, a shoot level, so to speak. I bought the New Japan um, website subscription. The way that they did things, say you got your subscription on July 1st, 
you would yeah. pay, you know, for the whole month of July. If you got your subscription on July 31st, you'd pay for the whole month of July, and then you get yeah. charged again for the for August 1st. So I found that to be just something to note that if you started your subscription after the 1st, you were losing yeah. money as it went along. The other thing yeah. I found is that their website was terribly non-user friendly. Um, yeah, I tried. <laughs> I I was like, I'm lost. I said, I'm done. (laughs) What what I would love, guys, I would love to watch the classic either New Japan, All Japan. Um, As a matter of fact, I just ordered some Dragon Gate Pro USA uh, DVDs because what I like as a wrestling fan is Japanese main event matches with like Baba versus Harley Race, Ric Flair versus Rick Martel in Japan. You know, Kerry yeah. Von Erich defending the NWA world title in Japan, or even the modern stuff, with the exception of Kenny Omega. I'm not a big fan of his. Yeah. But I like to see those matches in English with English commentary. Because I for me, I just saw an interesting match, Mikey, that you you just now prompted my memory. It was about, let's see, today's Tuesday. It was, I believe it was Saturday night, in fact. Okay. Um, I saw a match with Buddy Rogers versus Ricky Dozan. Wow, that's great. Yeah, uh, from the Tokyo Dome in Japan. Well, that sounds like an awesome match. It and was um, crazy. It went forty-five minutes. I have a six-disc six, six it disc, was not six almost disc. forty-five full minutes. It, it's mm. probably on this six-disc uh, Rico Dozan uh, DVD set I have. So please, no spoilers. But, yeah, um, no, no, I won't say anything. The, uh, the reason I bring up the Japan question sure. is, and not for nothing, but, you know, Dave Meltzer puts it over to the moon like it's the greatest thing since sliced bread. Yeah. So there's got to be, you know, look, if it if it walks and talks, it's got to get legs to, to move around, you know? Yeah, M- Meltzer's taken a bit of a beating on social media in the last few years for his favoring of that style. And yeah, shows. you know, I mean, Dan, I, I take nothing, that, Dan. I, I take nothing that. away from, say, the, the classic, obviously the, the classic example would be the, the trilogy between Omega, Kenny Omega, and Okada. Those were some of Meltzer's first six-star matches. And they were impressive, but the the general consensus, yes, okay, you, know, you have to like the Kenny Omega style. If you're not in that flippy indie kind of 25 30 super kicks a match style that's by no means are you going to watch kenny omega okada and think this is the greatest thing i've ever seen and i mean don't get me wrong the talent is clearly there i I take nothing away i'm not criticizing i enjoyed those matches but Meltzer has a history of favoring that style so some of his reviews tend to be better whereas you talk about something like uh, Kerry Von Erich defending the NWA title or some of the American athletes True. competing in Japan, they may have the same or a better match that won't get as well reviewed because it's not the Meltzer style of Japanese wrestling. Yeah, I actually saw um, talking about Kenny Omega, I actually saw the documentary Omega Man, right? which was uh, shot almost entirely in Japan. And uh, his... Um, his tag team partner and and sometimes feuding partner is a guy named Ibushi. And, and I watched this kid work, and he's amazing. And these Japanese wrestlers are actually really, really good. Mm-hmm. But I don't know. Of course, that's documentary form. I don't know if I could sit down and watch, 
you know, a, a full wrestling card, I don't know how much it would pique my interest, you know, unless the, all the matches were like what I saw. Right. Uh, which I don't know. Um, but I'm certainly open to exploring that question for sure. It'll definitely you be know? something to think about down the road. The Japanese yeah. are... The Japanese are known for having great epic cards. They're known for having great epic matches. I think the thing that myself and other American fans or, you know, anywhere but Japan fans might have a hard time with is that storyline aspect of pro wrestling, the yeah. mic work, all the things that we love. You know, it's it's nothing against the Japanese. It's nothing against us. Just something's going to be lost in translation. Well, I was just going to say it doesn't translate. Their right. mic skills doesn't translate the other thing that doesn't translate is when you watch japanese wrestling the crowd doesn't react the way we do here right they're very polite they applaud at the end of the match but basically they sit fairly silent yeah, very very more like the crowd of a sumo match than the crowd of an american wrestling event yeah good analogy dan real good analogy absolutely the other so thing, I I think you're going to lose something in translation either way. I think Mikey's right about that. Indeed. Um. So I we'll see. I mean, I'm I'm certainly open to exploring it. We'll, uh, you know, we'll give it. You know, I guess we'll give it more uh, more consideration. We'll talk about it. Right. It, it's, and, it's uh, and see if there's. You know what? Let's 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 ask people to do this. If you have any interest in us doing a a show on Japanese wrestling. Inbox us uh, uh, on Facebook at Wrestling with the Future, uh, either in our private group or our public page, or shoot us an email at wrestlingwiththefuture at gmail.com and let us know what you think of us hitting up the Japanese subject. Now, the other thing, Mike Messier, of uh, note yes. this week, our buddy Jim Cornette went on somewhat of an epic tirade this week. Tell everybody... Uh, what the you know, open mouth insert foot did this time? Well, here's the thing. Jim Cornette made a statement on his podcast, to, and and the great Brian Last, as he calls himself, and I have nothing against Brian, but Brian's the co-host, and Jim kind of went off about Becky Lynch's pregnancy announcement on Raw, and yeah. basically, Jim, with he didn't really bury or insult Becky. He questioned in a kind of volatile and rude way why would this young couple to say Lynch, the least <laughs> right well why would to they say why the would, least are well, you kidding me why would they choose to have a um, baby uh, at this time when she's making you know millions of dollars or a million dollars as jim yeah. estimated um why would they make this decision to have a baby and jim kind of got her age wrong he said that it's she a was, valid question mikey well, here's the thing. It's their personal choice. And I think that's yeah. the thing where a woman's anytime you get into a woman's reproductive organs or making a comment on her having a baby, you're not going to win in no, the no, court of right. public, you know, in the court of public opinion. If, if, if my cousin, my female cousin were to get pregnant and I were to say, Oh, you sure about that? You already have three kids. You really need a fourth. Yeah. Then I would be banned from the family barbecue for a year. Oh my and God. I, sure. And I think Jim kind of did that here. I mean, Absolutely. I think Jim, in a way, complimented Becky because he said, what is she, 30? Well, she's 33. 
And right. I'm not an expert on women's reproductive organs, but um, I would say that there is actually a huge difference between 33 years old for a woman having a baby and 30. I yeah. mean, once once you hit 30, you know, once you hit 33 as a woman, your biological clock is ticking pretty damn loud. Yeah. And I think that Cornette, and I, I listen to Cornette, and I listen to that rant, but I think what he might be missing is she can't put off having a baby for 10 years because that increases her likelihood of, of death or illness and having a baby. It increases the uh, disability uh, percentage uh, risk for the baby. Absolutely. So if she's pregnant at age 30 and this was on her things to do list, um, and it means that wh what's it going to mean for her career that she's not going to wrestle Brie well, Bella at WrestleMania 39? You know, who cares? That's I mean, the question, Dan, the man. The, and, and, and there are people who are already addressing that question. What's it going to do for her career? Well, let's talk about this. She's already killed any notion of the man character. Correct. And that's done. That's out the window. Yes. She is, however, as Mikey pointed out, she's only 33. So she's young enough to have a baby, get back in shape. Uh, she's in pretty good shape now. Um, of course, you know, having a baby does strange things to one's body. Um, and if you look at people before and after childbirth, that speaks for itself. I don't have to go there. Uh, and I won't because I'm smart and I'm old. And <laughs> yeah. so it's and also I'm, a show with three got hosted by three guys. Maybe that's not, we're not the best experts to talk about that level of, uh, of the process. This is true. This is true. Absolutely. I will concede that point to my co-host. Absolutely. The other thing is. Uh, if she does decide, and it's as Mikey said, it's a it's a personal choice to have a, a child. It's you know it's a it's probably the most personal choice anybody can make. But if at some point she decides to say, okay, I need to get back in, you know, back to work, you know, work being wrestling, mm -hmm. uh, she gets herself back in shape again. What happens to her career? Where does it go? Uh, you know, uh, people already, you know, have come to uh, accept and acknowledge the man character and notwithstanding the fact that she's the most um, over merch seller by far in WWE for a very long time, in fact. You know? I don't think I don't think it hurts her at all, Angelo. I, and I'll be he just happens to have the Becky Lynch pop right behind. Oh, Amazon exclusive, one of the yeah. first to get a deal out with them. We, there you we, go. Uh, we are uh, unbiased commentators here in the world of pro wrestling. <laughs> well, I think I think it's it's interesting to note and something I'm gonna I find myself doing frequently on the show. I'm actually gonna somewhat defend Jim Cornette here. The the oh, you can defend you, you, you him. Heard, I defend him a lot. You heard the, the rants he said. He he took two sides. One, like you touched on, Angelo. I know we talked about it on the show already. He was yeah. upset from the perspective of the character that when she came out and she was crying and she talked about, I had my opportunity and I, I got to do this for all these years and I didn't think I was going to make it. And yeah. you know, she, she basically admitted, I've been playing a character for the last five years. Yeah. So it, when she comes back, the last kicker, the man, that character's done. No, it's no different than... Uh, Stone Cold shaking Vince McMahon's hand, admitting this has been a work the whole time. He yeah. never, he could never go back to being the 
teetering on realism badass because you yeah. lose the script now. Um, well, Dan, what do you make? Point out? Go ahead. I was going to say, what do you make of the fact that she did that teary goodbye? There are a lot of people that are taking that as I'm finished. Yeah, I, well, I mean, you have to look at the perspective from anybody that's ever had children or has children. You know, right. she's the, the the child's father is going to be on the road 300 days a year for quite some time. If Seth Rollins yeah. wrestles into his early 40s, which is about the average age, he's still yeah. got almost another 10 years of being gone 300 days a year. She, yeah, if she wants, she'll never realistically be able to come back unless she takes the children on the road with her. She'll never be able to go back to a full time schedule. Because yeah. you can't have two parents on the road 300, 325 days a oh, year. Oh, yeah, that, that's with, a whole nother. And, and he brought that point up. But also he looked at it from the territory days of, of also of a boss. You know, you're my yeah. number one merch seller, my number one ticket seller. You walk into my office one day in the middle of your multi-million dollar contract and say, I'm done. And he looked at it from yeah. the perspective of how much money and tickets are being left on the table. And yes, yeah. now. He had really, I mean, like Mikey said, you know, yeah, it's a, that's one of those subjects you probably don't get that heated over, but somebody else's kids. But I don't think the criticism of Jim Cornette being this baby-hating monster was fair either. Oh, yeah, I, I don't, yeah, the, the, I, I, I don't the see that. The wussification of social media made a lot of what he said worse than it was. It may have been bad to a point, yeah. but he's not out there shitting all over a child he's just he's questioning yeah. from his knowledge of the business the timing and choice and and as an opinion as a, an opinion host who makes his living having an opinion you know yeah. that shouldn't surprise anybody here's yeah, here's like, a, the solution is quite simple and of course too bad i'm not working for the mighty wwe right now i'd have a cut of this idea right. the mom the mom and the man the reality show of becky having a baby with Seth by her side. Yeah. So you bring all those Ms. Ms. and Mrs. cameras into Becky's house with Seth, and you're going to have a show that's going to get higher ratings than the Ms. and Maurice did, and yeah, they got great absolutely. ratings. Absolutely. So that's, that's true. There and, you uh, go, folks. It's not of, that hard. Of all, <laughs> of all people, Vin, Vince Russo mentioned on his podcast the, the storyline that was in their laps. They could have made one hell of an exit story for her. Instead, she comes that. out teary-eyed, teary just, you know, officially ends her character, basically admits the entire business is bogus and walks out. Here, here's the title, Oscar. Thanks. I got to play a character for five years. Yeah. I'm going to go well, have kids now. And, mm. and I think that was the you always mentioned how, you know, Cornette and Russo agree on more than they want to admit. That's yeah. that's the biggest Scary. problem a lot of fans have was the way Becky's exit speech was a person admitting i've been i've been acting none of this was real i yeah. got to play a part it was my dream role and and instead of coming she there's so many ways she could have worded that exit without completely i mean granted, granted the kayfabe that genie's long been out of the bottle but it, you don't have to constantly remind people that what you're seeing isn't real and that's, well and that's you know what, what? i said that dan on the last show that we did i actually said that uh if anyone had any doubts as to whether kayfabe was dead there's there are no longer any doubts absolutely because hey guys, Becky Lynch put the final nail in the coffin hey guys i have to disagree a little bit i mean i, I only watched the speech once i will it, watch the I, speech if you've again. got another perspective i'd love to hear it 
I, I didn't see I didn't interpret the speech when I watched it on Raw that night. I didn't interpret her as as breaking any new ground as far as breaking character. I I right. interpreted her as saying I got to be everything I wanted to be and more, and it was because of you, the fans, not the yeah. promoters, not the other wrestlers. She was really trying to reinforce that connection with the fan base that the fan base, whether this is true or not feels a certain kinship or ownership to Becky Lynch's character because they feel right. that when they cheered her when she was supposedly going heel, that that's what put her over the top. I didn't see it as a breaking kayfabe storyline thing any more so than, say, The Undertaker's 1998 promo in the ring where he kind of broke character a little bit. And that was 1998. This is 2020. Yeah. I really... I wasn't offended by Becky's speech. I the, If there's anything about this that I would hold against Becky, and maybe it's her fault, maybe it's not. Apparently, she says that she thought she might have been pregnant before WrestleMania. She took a test. It came back negative. No, you're not pregnant. She went right. ahead and wrestled Shayna Baszler, and she won, which was kind of a surprise because a lot of people, including myself, thought Baszler would win the title. Yeah. And then she finds out that she's pregnant. Well, guess who this buries? Shayna Baszler. Um, yeah. So the 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 thing, look, we we can second guess each other all we want, but if if I was going to second guess Becky Lynch, if yeah. she really had a suspicion, test result or no test result, that she was pregnant, maybe she should have taken the second pregnancy test. Maybe she should have gone to Shayna, gone to Vince McMahon, gone to Triple H, gone to Stephanie, yeah. and say, hey. I'm not sure what's going on with me right now, but I might be pregnant. Why don't we put the Becky, the belt on Beck, uh, on Shayna, just in case I'm pregnant, and then if I'm not pregnant, I can get it back in, a, in the next pay per view. I think sure. that's they, they already had the precedence for changing the main event because if you remember the main event that was supposed to be Becky and Ronda and Vince shoehorned Charlotte in there because of the narrative of wanting Charlotte to have something and not sure if Becky could carry the load. I mean, they they could have done something to if if they didn't want to put the belt on Shayna, they could they had, uh, I believe this, the narrative is about two weeks, which with all the YouTube and the fact that they announce matches on Twitter now, they could have easily added a third or a third or fourth person to the match, which also could have taken the physical load off Becky and put the belt on someone else, put it on Oscar if, if that's what that was going to be your plan down the road anyway. Yeah. Here's the thing, guys. What I'll do just you think, jump Mike. I have to I have to say that we're all thinking like, uh, and this is not an insult because I'm running the mix, but we're all thinking of like things as 1980s, 1990s pro wrestling fans. We have to remember Becky's Lynch fan base is teenage girls. Becky's Lynch's fan base consists highly of Kim Kardashian fans, highly exactly. of Total Bellas fans. We're not in her fan base. They're not expecting yeah. me to go out and get a Becky Lynch t-shirt. I mean, Dan has the pop-up doll or whatever, but that's his own personal thing. I've got no problem with that. But for the most part, when they think of Becky Lynch and who are they marketing to, it's teenage girls. Now, guess what? The teenage girl today wants to be on the cover of Sports Illustrated, and she wants to have uh, three or four kids. She wants to be the princess, and she wants to be the mom. So yeah. Becky Lynch has fulfilled all these fantasies. Mm -hmm. So that's yeah. why a, a reality show, uh, the mom and the the mom and the man, Becky and Seth have a baby. <laughs> I mean, it's got money printed all over it. Of course, yeah. once again, I'm not on the. Sure. I should be getting commission for this, but I'm not, as we've all discussed <laughs> in the past. You always find a way to put yourself over, don't you, Mike? No one else will, Angelo, except you, buddy. <laughs> but I mean, if Mike, Mikey wasn't talking about himself, he wouldn't have anything to say half the time. That's right. It, I'm scary, ain't it, Danny? Scary. Well, it's today, scary. 
Today I had well, a good thing. Uh, Go ahead. Let me, uh, you guys talk. Let me just to see if our, our, if our buddy is ready here. All right. Today, today I had a funny thing, guys, where just ra rallying up the troops of pro wrestling, I made a meme uh, on Facebook that said, um, should the WWE loyalists who criticized AEW for using old, a uh, old WWE wrestlers now apologize for WWE ripping off AEW's wrestler in the crowd technique? And hey, that got know, some all, heated debate. All punchlines aside, though, Billy Gunn and his son have been the MVP of AEW for about a month now because of how good they've been just as fans. Yeah. Right. And Pineapple Pete. Is yeah, exactly. Place. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see. I mean, the, the, the thing is that the, the wrestling fan war that I predicted between yeah. AEW and WWE really has come true. If you guys are in those Facebook groups, you'll see that. Mm -hmm. There clearly are divides between those who favor WWE and those yeah. who favor AEW, which I think is great. I think it's you good. Know, yeah, it, re it reminds me of a digital age version of the old Monday Night Wars. I mean, I remember being in high school and, you know, you'd argue between Raw and Nitro, uh, SmackDown and Thunder. And it was like, you know, you, there was there was a, a divide there. Now, I imagine if Twitter and, and Facebook existed when I was in high school, it'd probably be more because, you know, you had to talk to people face to face then. So you couldn't use all these terms that people love throwing out on the Internet now without getting your teeth kicked in. But uh, it, it's it's interesting to see. I think the, the, the one thing I've noticed is we've talked before, Angelo, you and I about like the, the WWE apologists, you know, people. Yeah. Who, constantly have a reason why the WWE product is good even though it's not the <laughs> AEW's fan base aren't as apologetic they're more aggressive I mean I could say you know I Very watched much so. I watched the, the AEW pay-per-view and this was great and this was great and this was great holy crap that stadium stampede match was some of the worst crap I've ever seen in my life I, I did love the yeah. bit with Matt, you know spoilers with Matt Hardy uh changing as he got dunked in the water into his different characters i thought that was funny but you know watching it it was it was garbage and here's I, you make that comment i give the the, the pay-per-view a b plus i liked everything except and holy shit you would have thought i just said that that everybody who watches aew needs to go jump off a bridge pete the, the way people jump down my throat with that narrative it's this you know no criticism whatsoever of aew is well i'll tell you why it's a slippery slope the day of the wrestling fan, let's be real clear about it. The day of the wrestling fan is gone. All you have left now are loyalists and apologists. <laughs> Our friend Evan Ginsburg loves to use the term WWE apologist. Yeah. And I understand what he means by that. Of course, that term, you know slips over the heads of those individuals that he's addressing as you would expect it to. Right. I don't think they're quite capable of understanding what he means by it. On the other hand, on the other hand, it's a niche market now. Mm -hmm. There's no longer wrestling for the masses. You've got the AEW market. Right. You've got the WWE market. The Ring of Honor market. Everything is a niche market. You, Even you New Japan is a niche market. Mikey, what happened to our wrestling fans? Where'd they all go? Well, I mean, I think that for me, 
um, the show Tough Enough in the original Tough Enough. I think it was 2001, 2002. Mike, hold on a second. Dan, just so you know, I've heard this. I've heard this before. Mm-hmm. I just want to get because you've not heard this before. I just want to prepare you that Mikey is not a fan of Tough Enough. <laughs> Continue, Mikey. <laughs> well, I, I'll clarify. I was a fan of Tough Enough. What I wasn't a fan, I was and I wasn't. It was addictive watching. I'm talking yeah. about the very first season with Maven and the Nydia and the first couple of years of Tough Enough. Sure. What they when they pulled that curtain back so far, we weren't oh, talking yeah. like you know Hulk Hogan and and Steve Austin and Bill Goldberg making some you know insults to each other back and forth. We're talking about we're going to show how these guys are taking back bumps. We're and we're going to show this all. You know, watch Monday Night Raw for two hours and turn the station to MTV and watch Tough Enough and find out how they did it. That's when. Well, and I'll stop you there because that's that's Dan. That's what you've heard me talk about since day one on this show, since the, your right. first day you were here. The willing suspension of disbelief. Everybody wants to know where did it go? Mikey just told you where it went. Exactly. And and I've brought that up before. You look at the crowds. My favorite in my tape collection, I still watch it You know, when I get the chance, is the old Memphis territories. Uh, Jerry Lawler, Dutch Mantel, back when Cornette was young, the mm-hmm. Maniac number one, those guys. You, you had every show, three, you'd see the cops at ringside, three, four, five people jumping the barricade every yeah. show. Uh, oh my know, God! He- heaven forbid! Heaven forbid! So, and that was w- women jumping the barricade too. If heaven forbid! Oh my God! You know, you, they were the worst on, ones. What are you Ricky, talking about? Ricky Morton. You know, you put your hands on Terry Taylor or Ricky Morton, and women oh, are jumping the barricade. Kick your ass, brother. Let me tell you something. You put your hands on Ricky Morton or Terry Taylor, you were toast. Exactly. Those women and- would tear your ass up. <laughs> speaking of which, speaking of which, speaking of Memphis, we got the King of Memphis. Well, the other King of Memphis coming in Thursday night. The legendary superstar Bill Dundee will be here. He was a big part of that, too, by the way. Yes, absolutely. A heat-seeking missile if there ever was one. <laughs> yeah. He's on that Mount Rushmore. I said, I said, Angelo, the Mount Rushmore of Memphis wrestling, let's say from 1980 on, with respect to Jackie Fargo before then, superstar Bill Dundee, Austin Idol, Jerry yeah. the King Lawler, and Jimmy the Mouth of the South Heart. And yeah. if you had to take somebody out, you'd probably put jackie fargo and jimmy hart spot but those yeah. guys were icons of mm-hmm. memphis wrestling oh my god and but what to dan's point it was believable right and, it and was that's, believable that's to, you know to get I, a woman you. to get as an a 70 or 80 year old woman shaking her cane at you right okay and hitting you with it yeah, and hitting you with it, and and I've seen that there was this one little old lady. She was at every Memphis match, every Memphis match at the Mid South Coliseum. She had the overcoat. She had the old the granny glasses, the whole bit. She had this cane, boy. That thing was a damn lethal weapon, because she will cold cock you with it, <laughs> and did many times, many right. times as. Bill Dundee, ask Jerry Lawler, uh, ask, uh, oh my God, ask, here you go, ask um, Honky Tonk Man, who was wrestling as uh, um, Wayne Farris at the time. Mm-hmm. 
under his, uh, his real name. Asked him. It was yeah. it was a territory steeped in old Southern wrestling tradition and believability. See, and that's like I've touched on before that uh, tough enough is a good example towards the end of the attitude era, towards the end of WCW's run in the, in the in 2000, mm -hmm. when you started pulling the curtain back and now the fans get to be involved in the fact that it's not real. I, I hate using that word, but you know what I mean when I say that, that, that it's a show. Yeah. And a lot of that fun left like, yeah. Okay. Kayfabe was broken in the eighties. We knew that, you know, uh, Duggan and the Sheik getting caught in the car together, and then uh, Hogan's telling some of the stories Vince McMahon in hit that speech he did about we're we're entertainment because he was trying to dodge the taxes that come with boxing yeah, and oh, right. work. You know y y that was gone, but the fun was still there. When that fun left, you look at the numbers, crowds left in droves. I mean, there was a period. Oh my God! Yeah, where and they never came back, Dan. They never exactly, came back. And an indie show with. 12 nobodies and one or two names that people might know more than 50 miles from the arena would put 10,000 people a month. And now, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, the flagship Monday Night Raw, you're lucky if you get four, four or 5,000. And the funniest thing is, is that it doesn't matter because the, the smallest crowds that wrestling has ever had, and it's the most profitable it has ever been because the money is in the internet, it's in the yeah. TV ratings, it's or excuse me, it's in the commercials, you know, a uh, hundred thousand people watching one commercial will get you yeah. more money than 10 million people buying a ticket nowadays. Do you know dollar for dollar Memphis, the Memphis territory alone, forget about everything else down South, the Memphis territory alone outdrew WWE financially for almost eight years eight full years okay yep. you're talking about the mid-south coliseum it holds eighteen thousand five hundred people they filled it every week every mm -hmm. monday listen to this one on a monday okay not a friday or saturday night on a monday yeah because they were able to get the coliseum cheaper on a monday right Here's, and here's people would pay 10 or 15 bucks for a ticket instead of 150 or 200 now, if you're lucky. Right. You know? Which but they would fill this place every week. You do 18,000, let's, let's say 19,000 every Monday for a month, okay? Yeah. Talk about 10, let's say 15 bucks average ticket. You got pay-per-views that don't make that kind of money. Right. Okay? Think about that. You yep. got pay-per-views that don't take in that kind of revenue that these guys were taking in in one month. In one month, and they did it for eight years. Yeah. Here's the thing, Here's the thing, guys. Okay, Mikey. Those, those wrestlers, Jerry Lawler especially, people would ask him, hey, Jerry, why don't you go to the NWA? Why don't you go to the WWF? Why don't you go to AWA exclusively and Jerry would say why should I I live at home and I make more money here exactly than I yep, would exactly. going to those other places now that doesn't mean that the rest of the wrestlers got paid as well as he did but the point oh, is course. um Jerry was making a killing and um you know just it's, it's it's pretty interesting because things do change in pro wrestling one thing 
that I want want to bring up is there's a difference between the level of commitment to put your thumb on a remote control and watch Monday Night Raw or AEW on Wednesday night or even go on the internet and watch some other wrestling, MLW. I was watching a lot of MLW today uh, with Brian Pillman Jr.'s matches, but there's a difference right. in commitment as a fan between watching on TV or your computer and actually purchasing money, driving to an arena, paying for the parking fee. If you have kids, bringing the kids. If you have a friend, bringing a friend. Right. Going to the arena and watching a show live. Um, that's why I've mentioned several times that I'm grateful that I did go to a February 29th, 2020 live pro wrestling show, uh, NXT, NXT house show in Jacksonville. It was not the greatest show in the world, but I'm glad I took a lot of photographs. It happened to be the night that our buddy Jeff, uh, the ref, passed away. Yeah. And it's just a special uh, memory that I have going into this uh, coronavirus situation that I got to go to the wrestling show, probably one of the last wrestling shows that took place in the United States before this yeah. uh, horrible situation. So there is something special yeah. for, for those fans listening or watching us on YouTube. Remember that as much as we critique, criticize, you know, our opinions about wrestling, if a wrestling show, big or small, comes to your neighborhood, if you happen to be one of those wrestling fans that have never gone to a live event, and have only watched on TV, get yourself to the arena. If it's a, an armory, if it's a big oh, arena. Absolutely. Because surprisingly, guys, a lot of fans, like for instance, a lot of NFL football fans have never gone to an NFL football game. Well, you've yeah, got to, well, you know, you got to do that because even if for me, like when I was a hockey fan in my youth, yeah. their hockey at the time was so much better in the arena than watching for on sure. TV. But when I would watch the games on TV, the Washington Capitals on TV, you could kind of put yourself in the modality of being in the arena. Yeah. So when I watch... Well, Mike, let me stop you there because I'm going to ask you a question. Sure. You mentioned football. You mentioned hockey. Relative to the sport of... Well, I'll use the word sport. Relative to the sport of pro wrestling, football and hockey are quite expensive to buy tickets to. Correct. Uh, when you're talking about, you know, let's say just if you're if you're able to afford it, a 50 yard line ticket. Oh okay? God, you're paying thousands. Depending on thousands. the ticket, you're paying thousands. Three, four thousand dollars. Right. Yep. Front front okay. row seats at the local indie show run you 25 bucks. And I got news for you, fellas. Very few of those tickets are comped. At the Very wrestling show or comped. the football game. Yeah, it's interesting that the comp tickets are up in the press box. Yeah. Okay. Now, talk about wrestling aside from WrestleMania, which is a whole financial different ballgame. The average wrestling ticket ringside is Dan, 250? Yeah, the that's that's about, about what we right? paid the last the last time SmackDown was here. Right? About two and a half? Yeah, the the, the It's four, relatively the first, inexpensive. Yeah, first first four rows and we got to keep the chair. And if you do that with mom and dad and Junior and his sister, yeah, that's going to set you back at least a grand. Mm -hmm. Then you got to buy gimmicks. Then you yep. got to buy hot dogs and popcorn and cotton candy and soda. Yeah. You're looking at a two grand night, brother. Yeah. Okay. You're looking at a two grand. And you got to park your car. That's another 40 bucks. Right. Okay, 
but it's still cheaper than going to see hockey or a football game. Think about that. Yeah. Well, this this NXT show, guys, I went to. The tickets were ten bucks each. Um, you got two slices of pizza and a soda for five bucks. Um, if they had a couple of the new talents were signing autographs for free before the show. This was an NXT house show, so I know that WWE regular, you know, uh, main level Raw or SmackDown would be more expensive. But my yeah. point remains that pretty much anywhere, I mean, and pretty much anywhere you can find a decent local wrestling promotion within driving distance. And oh, sure. when this, when this, and, and I think at the t beginning of the show, you guys were talking about some indie promotions are starting to let fans come back with certain regulations. Yeah. And I, I would say that if you're comfortable, if each individual has to make their own safety protocol, but if you're comfortable, go to, go to some of these shows, wear a mask, do what you have to do. But I think it's good. Well, that, and I, you know, and I think Mikey, uh, to the credit of the wrestling fan, I, I think they don't give a shit. They just want to be there. Yeah. I don't think wrestling fans honestly care to be well, six or ten feet apart. I, I do I think, think... Go ahead, Dan. I was, I was going to say, I think it's also important. The kind of people like myself and, and you guys that would frequent indie shows, we also are invested enough to understand that you're... Brian Pillman Jr. and some of these in, indie wrestlers that haven't been able to perform since February... I mean, they're several months incomeless. So I want to go back to the show yeah. so I can start buying tickets and buying T-shirts and throwing some money back in oh, their pocket. sure. Well, a lot of these guys, uh, I, I can tell you from the guys I know, and I know a lot of them, uh, they're, they're living off their merch sales right now. Were it not for T-shirts, uh, picture gimmicks, you know, uh, or, or any other number of gimmicks they have, yeah, you know they have no income, so I encourage people. Yeah, buy T-shirts, buy eight by tens. You know, uh, buy a, um, a you know Brian Pillman's you know Mullet King shirt. Right. Well, that's you know, um, do it. Absolutely. Not to, not to buy wrestling to with the future T-shirts. There you go. Here, here they go. Look we need that. We need that size three XL for your buddy. And with um, yeah. Uh, some of the sites that specialize in that. Like I get you one, Pro, Mikey. Pro Wrestling Tees, for example, has been doing all kinds of different sales and and promotions where X number of dollars goes to this charity or this this fund for people. So yeah. if they want to, the money's out there. And and that's why I rec I've been saying before I mentioned on the show is is the indie guys don't now's not the time to go to WWE.com and buy oh you know buy a, a T-shirt get one half off. WWE doesn't need your money right now. No. They, the, the 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 indie wrestlers making seventy five bucks a show that are living off t shirt sales they need your yeah, money they need your more money than, more than Vince McMahon does right now oh absolutely uh, I will say this guys I did uh, in the wake of Shad Gaspard's uh, unfortunate death you know a week ago or so uh, collar and elbow has a really nice that's Al Snow's company mm. and uh, they have a really nice t shirt there that's a tribute t shirt to Shad Gaspard and. Uh, according to Collar and Elbow, their website, all the proceeds will be going to Shad's family. And uh, he, I, he I saw that. Yeah. yeah. So I, I, I purchased one. Um, I purchased one. They had my size. Yeah. It hasn't arrived in the mail yet, but it's coming. And um, I was happy to do that because I. Well, yeah. Big shout out to Al Snow and Collar and Elbow for sure. And um, I think that 
that was an unfortunate death. I, I, if we, if I could circle back to our first topic or one of our first topics, the young lady in Japan. Yes, just to, please. Just to just to clarify, guys, um, from my understanding, and I'm not an expert. This young lady, um, she was getting a lot of flack for her presence on this reality show. And what happened on the reality show, and I ha I watched about six or seven episodes with her on it, and I hadn't gotten yeah. to the episode yet, but apparently she slapped uh, a co-star on the show. And there was a situation where her wrestling costume from a big match that she had was put in the washer and dryer by accident, and it shrunk or it got damaged, and she was upset, and she had some type of minor physical altercation with a, with a co-star. And I guess she gave the co-star an open-handed slap. And that caused this tidal wave of hateful comments and tweets to her on social now, media. Now, was this part of the show or was this a shoot? It wasn't scripted. It was a shoot. If you believe that it's a reality show and not not scripted, this terrorist house I'm talking about. So it was it was a reality situation on a reality show. And people got very upset with her because she slapped somebody and... They started, most of the hateful comments were from Japanese reality show fans, not from American wrestling fans, right? And Well, you know, we've seen this play out before. Uh, for those of you that are old enough to remember, way back when there was a show called Jenny Jones. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. There was a guy on the show, uh, and the, the title of the show was... Uh, Confess my secret crush. Right. Well, there was a gay man on, not that there's anything wrong with that, who brought on another guy who is not gay. Right. And he confessed his affection for him. Correct. Well, this man, later that day or the next day, one day removed from taping, went on a killing spree. Yep. And killed the guy who brought him on the show. And then killed himself. Uh, and that's a case, that's a real life case that happened on a reality show. It's not the first time it's happened. It's happened on the, the Maury Povich show. Uh, where a guest uh, committed suicide. They felt bullied. So if this was intended to be, you know, a reality show, well, we know that reality shows by and large are scripted you know at least our interpretation of reality shows are scripted unless in japan they truly are shoots i'll, I'll um, jump in if i could Angela, yeah, please, I, Mike, I, sure. because i watched about nine or ten of these episodes of terrace house on mm -hmm. saturday night and Basically, it was a pretty interesting show, and you know, to my eye, it wasn't scripted, it, it because yeah. some of the episodes are really boring. So, what they do on this particular show is they have these yeah. twenty-year-olds are the ones in the house, and the show is kind of um, watched. They go to these segments of these middle-aged people who are kind of like advisors, watching the show together in a living room, drinking wine narrating and commentating on the action of these younger people as if you're kind of enjoying this wine party of watching the show while you're watching it it was a pretty yeah. cool show it's a pretty cool setup what was that show uh dan you know this where the the robots uh, would mystery science theater 3000 yeah where the robots would watch movies and make fun of it right so if you yeah. can imagine that with this reality show 
There's a reality show going on with 20 year olds. And the basic question is who's going to hook up with who? Because right. all these people are very attractive. So the question is who's going to hook up with who? Who's going to confess their crush on each other? And the Japanese culture is more polite, it's more demure. There was an American guy who's a, a, an illustrator on the show and he spoke Japanese. So he's trying to hook up with this beautiful Japanese actress. But like I said, of all these good looking young people, Hana yeah. Kimura comes in and she blows everybody away. Now, yeah. the other little aspect of this, guys, that I found out was that Hana was actually half Indonesian by ethnicity. Her mother was also a wrestler. But because of the fact that her mother was half Indonesian, according to my source on the Internet, it could be, you know, not a great source. But there's a certain level of bigotry towards mixed blood people in Japan. That, More I so, know that. Yeah, I know yeah, that that's to be true. true. Well, she was the victim of that. So if you compound that that she had going on. With the fact that, she, as look, we talk about progressive country. Mikey, is that the reason being cited for her her suicide? The reason being cited, I think, is too one-dimensional because they're basically saying she was cyberbullied into death. And some of these pro wrestlers like Joey Ryan and Enzo Amore wanted to hop into the mix and say, see, you jerky wrestling fans, you shouldn't cyberbully us. So some of these wrestlers uh, decided to put a little shine on themselves, which I didn't care for. But the way that I understand it, she was more so bullied by her own people from the reality show, not from wrestling fans. That's yeah. not to say that didn't cause me to reflect on Saturday night about some of the things I've said about some of the wrestlers. Because right. I did start yeah. to think like, hey, I've said a lot of stuff about Joey Ryan. I've said a lot of stuff about the thumb in the ass spot from PWG, which included yeah. Tommaso Ciampa and Jushin Liger. And not to say that I don't feel those same things. But I would really yeah. hate for any pro wrestler to take any action because of something I said about their actual wrestling. Yeah. Uh, I have I have nothing against these talents as people. It's what they do in the ring that concerns me. There was another yeah. situation that came up with JD from New York and Alexa Bliss. Uh, I don't know if you yeah. guys saw that one. No, that's that's a good example. Yeah, that's another yeah. one. Good, getting... Dan. I, I'm glad you brought that up, Mikey. Dan, go ahead and, and address that. I got a I got a problem with this kid. Yeah, what what Mikey's talking about, and and. I think, for personally, what he was going for happened. Ninety. We were talking about the fans not knowing Japanese wrestlers. Ninety nine point nine percent of the world had never heard of this loser until he got into social media and got after Alexa Bliss, and things started getting reported on. But he made some some comments, and now the the problem with this story, and this is where the wrestling fans get involved, is he's since come out. And people have been harassing his family. His parents have been getting threatening phone calls, people showing up at his mom's house. And that's okay. What he said was awful, but there, there's there's a point when I don't give a crap, you know, what you're saying in that sense. Now you're you're out there advocating murder, goose stepping, whatever, you know, the evil Nazi shit. That that's that's a different story. He was he said some stuff that was disparaging of a woman, and now his mom's getting death threats. That's that that well, story. I think more than her has shined a spotlight on the bad wrestling fans because Mikey yeah, touched well, on, you know, well, Mikey Mikey touched on the story is that that you know not everybody involved in in her suicide was a wrestling fan. Most yeah. of the people involved in this this uh, DJ and and Alexa Bliss have been yeah. wrestlers and wrestling fans, and it's gotten very much out of hand. Now he started it. I'm, I'm glad he's going to suffer consequences, but not. Yeah. Well, not here, here's the thing. I, I, cause I got, I got something to say about this. 
first of all, I, I watched this kid, okay? Uh, not as much as I did, but just enough to keep current. Okay, so if we're all going to take responsibility as a society, then we have to take responsibility as wrestling fans. Unfortunately, it's all too easy to be brave behind the keyboard. Yes. None of these people, none of them, none of them, and I'm calling you out, that all you guys out there call yourself wrestling fans, I'm calling you out, okay? Because you don't have the balls to say anything to somebody's face, okay? People know that if they got a problem with us or this show, you got an open forum. Fire up your Skype, come on here, air your grievance. Tell me what your problem is. And I'll fix it for you. But JD from NY206, Jerry. How are we, boys? Okay. Oh, here's Brian Pillman. Oh, Brian with the run-in. He just uh, interrupted on? Angelo's promo on somebody. Am I on? Oh, you're looking at my you're on, man. Right. Just that, interrupted Angelo's right. promo. So JD from NY, I got a problem with this kid. Because hey. anybody can sit there and scream and yell and holler and, and you know, Shout out righteous indignations all day long. But say something constructive, asshole. Okay? Say something constructive. I'm calling you out. If you got a problem with anything we've said, my show is open for him. Come on in. I don't think you got the balls. I really don't think you have the balls. And anybody else listening to this who thinks they've got the cojones to show up, you got an open forum. Welcome aboard. Speaking of welcoming aboard, <laughs> still in the middle of his dinner is our friend Brian Pillman Jr. How you doing, babe? How are you guys? Good. Brian, I'm doing, doing good. Brother, you're starting to scare me, babe. <laughs> nope. The uh, the world's opening up. There's a lot of business to be had, and I just I just got hit with one of the busiest days of my life. You know, I was wow. driving around. I went to the gym. I worked out with a guy named Chris Van Bleet. You guys might know him. Oh, Dude, sure, the interview, Chris. the interview show. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I got a Chris. shout out to Chris. I, I uh, I'm trying to get him on the show. I, uh, I sent him uh, a Twitter inbox. So if you get a chance to talk to him, tell that <laughs> sucker I want him on here. <laughs> yeah, I can definitely. I talk to him all the time. We're gonna work out tomorrow at three p.m. So I would love to have him on here. Uh, good old Kentucky, Ohio. Okay, terrific. So how you doing? You got your uh, your workout in, the world's opening up, and you got lost in the shuffle? Yeah, yeah I went there, and then right. I went to the boxing gym. Brother, you had the old man over here getting a little scared. Jake Hager. You worked out with Jake Hager today at the boxing gym? No, I'm saying he, he's he's Jake's coach. Oh, cool. Yeah. The same coach. I have worked out with Jake before, though, in Tampa before. Right. I ran, I ran some sprints with him at the end of it because I just showed up at the end of his workout. Nice. He was yeah. gassed, gassed up, like or not gassed up, but he was tired. And uh, his coach made him do sprints, and he tried to argue with him. And his coach <laughs> was like, "No, you're doing them. If you want to be the, you know, you want to be the AEW champion, you got to do these sprints." This is before he even did it too. It was funny. Yeah, and I didn't even know. I was like, "Oh my god!" Yeah. <laughs> well, welcome back, uh, Brian Pillman Jr. Welcome back for part two. Sorry for showing up late, guys. Just like I said, busy day. Oh, that's okay. Look, you're you're a young guy. You got nothing holding you down, you know. But uh, I do take blood pressure medicine, so just so <laughs> you. Know. 
kept me a little scared there. I was like, oh, shit, the guest of honor uh, didn't show up for his own party. No, yeah, we, we'll be good. Yeah, we got this. So Okay. I've yeah, been looking forward to this podcast, actually. But I actually had an important couple important phone calls <clears throat> and stuff. So, yeah. Well, I want you to That's hang out with us for a little while. Yeah, very positive for here. I think people are starting to realize that the jig is up, you know. <laughs> yeah. As far as the pulls, right? <laughs> so, you've got... Um, you got the rest of the night to yourself then, right? Yeah, yeah, I'm chilling. I'm right here. You guys cool. got me. All right, good. All right. Need, I, I just want to make sure that you're not going to, like, you know, up and book on us for, like, a hot date or some shit. No, no, no. Are you guys uh, recording now, or did you start recording it? Oh, we're, we're on, baby. We're on, okay. yep. All right. Well, we are back, uh, part two with Brian Pillman Jr. Uh, mm-hmm. Nice to have you. Uh, now I can I can calm down and drink my coffee. Relax a little bit, maybe have another cigarette. Um, so when last we left off, we we're talking about your burgeoning career. Yeah. We know where you came from. We know where you want to go. Then tonight we're going to find out how you're going to get there. Yeah. So let's talk about this. Uh, Mikey, yes. I want to let you start off with the round of questions and we'll... Uh, well, let Dan. I think you know what. I think it's pretty much just going to be Mikey and Dan tonight. I'm going to sit back and and be the old man tonight. Well, I, I started uh, watching your run in this MLW Opera House Cup tournament today, Brian, and I didn't know what to expect because uh, I hadn't watched a whole lot of MLW for a while, so I was kind of catching up on some of this stuff, and I really enjoyed it. Your uh, opening match, you beat uh, TJP. And then uh, the next match, you got past uh, Thatcher. And for those that don't know, because I didn't know going into this, this opera uh, cup was something that Davy Boy Smith Jr. said that he inherited from Stu Hart. And this was like an actual cup, like a real cup that he got when they stole the Hart house. And so it was pretty cool because this thing had like a 71-year history to it, but it hadn't been defended since Stu Hart uh, defended it or won it, you know, 71 years ago. Mm-hmm. And this this cup was actually fought for in tournaments in opera houses and playhouses. Mm-hmm. And uh, being a theater writer and a screenwriter, I, I took a special liking to that. Um, so I just thought it was a cool concept. And I thought that the tournament was kind of on this, you know, scientific wrestling um you know, version of pro wrestling that we have now where there's not blood and guts. The matches are pretty cleanly fought and you were kind of the dark horse underdog. Um, I was also pretty impressed by the whole thing and it comes down to you and Davey boy Smith in the finals. And I won't spoiler for anyone that wants to go on MLW and watch these matches on YouTube. But Brian, can you, <coughs> talk about, um, cause, cause Davey boy Smith has been your tag team partner as well. So what it reminded me of was kind of a prior generation when Owen Hart and the British Bulldog fought for the first European title on Monday Night Raw one night. So Mm. I kind of enjoyed this tournament. Can you talk a little bit about the tournament, maybe what Davey Boy brought to the table with this thing and your thoughts on the whole deal? Well, as you know, Davey Boy is he's quite an accomplished uh, martial artist and grappler. And so, you know, going through this tournament. Obviously, my eyes were set on the prize 
but I knew immediately when I got in the ring with him that, you know, when you're in there with one of your brothers too, it's almost just a shoot, you know, because at that point he's just going to hit me with live rounds because he knows I can't complain and he knows that, uh, uh, he's going to beat the respect into me. And that's all the respect of the Hart Foundation and me being able to go in the ring and say I'm part of the Hart Foundation and being, being getting close to to Tyson and Natty and, and everybody, Bruce Hart, the whole family, going to see everybody. He was, at some point or another, I was going to have to pay those dues. You know, I wasn't just going to walk in and, and get the Hart Foundation name. So I'm pretty sure that ass beating that I got in that ring, you know, I can't tell you if I won or lost it, you know, spoiler alert, but as far as the ass beating that I got from Davy Boy Smith Jr., I'm pretty sure that was several generations of, of dues. <laughs> to Welcome to the family, right? My children's children will be in the Hart Foundation because uh, on that night, it, it was, it was a, a, you know, a very fun uh, match with with TJP that I'm very used to, you know, that sort of that indie style, that very back and forth. We were technical when we were technical and we were action packed and high flying when we needed to be action packed and high flying. So we really met toe to toe, me and TJP. Uh, I think Thatcher, you know, going into that one, you know, he's obviously more of a ground based guy. I think I maybe caught him off guard with a little bit of my unpredictability and, and some aerial moves. But other than that, I, I, I was for sure that I was outclassed by him. I think I got a little lucky there. And it was just fate that I was on my best day and he maybe was having an off day. And, right. and that's just how it goes. But I knew as soon as I stepped in the ring with Davey Boy that, that, I, that it wasn't about winning or losing. It was about surviving. And nice. it was about getting out of the ring with as little, as few injuries as I could get. And it was the most physical match I've ever been a part of. I took suplexes on the concrete floor. Do you and, like that kind of match? My stomach, was, my stomach was hurting so bad just from it being shaken around so many times from being slammed on the ground. I've never had a huge stomach ache after a match, but I felt like some of my organs were either had been punctured or, or torn or something. It was the weirdest feeling I've ever had. Wow. Brian, do you like that kind of match knowing that you were in a fight? You know, it, it really taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about not only how to defend myself against a bigger opponent, but it taught me a lot of respect for the business. And it taught me that Absolutely. if you really want to get to that level, if you really want to make it, you can't you can't play wrestler. You just can't. You can't play yeah. around. We, it's, it's funny that you say that. You gotta we were just that talking if, about that. As much as you want the fans to believe, you have to believe. If you don't believe in yourself, exactly. what the hell should they Just believe? talking about it, Dan. And if Santa Claus shows up in the fucking chimney and he's not even wearing his goddamn costume, you know, you think, yeah. you think kids are going to believe in him? You know, yeah, he yeah. just shows half ass, you know, he doesn't even eat the cookies, you know, he's, <laughs> he's having an off day, day, you know, you just can't have an off day or people are going to lose their belief yeah. in you. Sure. And too many people shit on the business today. Too many of these so-called performers, art artistic performers. Yeah. It's my job. It's probably my entire legacy, my entire uh, prophecy to fulfill is to get them out of the business and to show them what real real greatness is. And Absolutely. I think Dave Boy has been the key to that. He's been a huge catalyst to that. Uh, I learned a lot from Teddy, too. You know, despite Teddy's antics and, and, and the types of trouble he gets in, he, he's one of the few people that really respects the business. And and if you got a problem and with Teddy, what pisses me off. You know, he, he might have buried Brian, that's what pisses me off about Teddy. 
that and I gotta tell you, and I know that you know him, um, but that really bothers me because he can work and he's fucking good. But he's that's really, really good. I just don't understand why he why he does what he does. Whether just, he can't help himself, sometimes. I don't know what it is. It's like he made a deal with the devil. It's like the devil was like, you know, here, you're the best. You're going to be the best wrestler in the world. Ever. You're going to have every move in, ingrained in your soul and in your and in your muscle memory. You're never going to get injured. Teddy's never been injured. Right. But here's the, there's the caveat. You're not going to be able to keep a job. You're going to have issues with authority, you know. Stuff like that. So he made a deal with the devil. He said, he said he set out to be the greatest wrestler ever and to work the boys and to truly, you know, be the best and to be the most, you know, controversial, you know, draw kind of figure. You know, you, you kind of want Teddy on your show. You kind of. Yeah. Can I understand turn, that? Turns it, up it turns it up a notch. You, you, you know, I, I've been around this business long, long enough to know to understand that. And I do understand it. The problem is, when you spend more time working the boys than working the crowd, you're yeah. going to have to eat with the boys. And he's got a, well, heat that, yeah. a lot of guys. And, and that's, you know, that's how it works. But at the same time, crowd loves him. You know, he's, he's, he's always I over. It's crazy. Yeah, so. It's crazy. You got to pick your battles. And I think, like I said, I think Teddy, God bless him, love him. I know he might have went on a podcast recently and, and, and buried me a little bit. But he can mm. bury me all he wants. He did a great, he did a great deal of business for me. In MLW and, and carried me through some matches when I was inexperienced. So, if anything, I, I still owe him a debt of gratitude. So, I was going to say, yeah, I, uh, I just want to <laughs> good on good on you, Angelo. That's actually a uh, personal best. You, you said you were going to uh, sit back, and you you stayed back for a whole five minutes. That's actually the. Uh, that's I thought it was long, five long seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Longest you stay back since I've been with the show. Dan, listen to me. <laughs> Less is more. Right. But, um, Brian, I, I want to get on. You actually started with the thought about everything reopening again, uh, gyms and whatnot. <clears throat> Before you, you called in, we were one of the topics we were talking about was the some of the local promotions throughout the country that are going to start phasing in crowds and whatnot. Uh, what is your... What is, what is the the mindset now going in that you, you obviously you mentioned the gym you're getting back into it where soon before you know it you guys are gonna you being being wrestlers are gonna be back on your old schedules uh, what is what is the mindset put us in the mindset of getting back into that from having been forced away for the last couple months you know it, it's like I woke up one morning and, and I like I, I it was like a gunshot went off. And I immediately knew that I needed to start moving. I needed to start making moves because wrestling was on its way back. Nobody called me. Nobody texted me and said, hey, you know, I just, I started to see, you know, some states were opening up, you know, some posters were going out, you know, they're having, WWE's still having their empty arena shows. They're putting the boys in the crowd. AEW started that trend, you know, obviously. And, and you could tell, you know, when I when they first started doing it, I, I for some reason was like, why is AEW so much more entertaining to watch? And it's because they started with the fans in the crowd. Yeah, obvious. I don't know how WWE missed that fucking idea. I mean, when I was at Lance Storm School in Calgary, he made us all be in the crowd and cheer and shit. So I don't know, like, how that went over fucking their head. But now now they're doing it. 
especially considering they were filming from the performance center yeah. where they literally had a warehouse full of students. They could have picked up. Yeah, they could have went to full sale and been like, just, you know, let some kids. Either way, regardless, that's not off the topic of what we were talking about. But uh, no, I just I felt it was coming. I felt that if I didn't get back into shape as soon as possible, that wrestling was going to creep up on me. No, I'll tell you what happened. Somebody did ask me for a booking. They were like, hey, can you work this weekend? And uh, any other young guy would have taken it. I'm not going to say which company it was, but it was a very prominent wrestling company in the independent scene. One of the more controversial, you know, companies, but very prominent. Um, they was like, hey, you want to wrestle this weekend? It's empty arena, you know, this side or the other. And deep down inside, I really wanted to take it, but I had to turn it down because, you know, any other kid might have done it. But I have so much more respect for my physique and, and my ability that I didn't feel confident being like I wouldn't have taken his money and, I, and I'm not going to wrestle for free. So, you know, am I going to show up at any ring I can and train and, and, and help out and try to get back in shape? Yeah, but I'm not going to take anybody's money right now until I'm where I need to be. And, and that's what I told him. I was like, dude, I do not feel good. I was like, I, I was I took a two month nap. I took a nap for two months. I don't even know what happened the past two months. That's what the coronavirus did. And, and, and this pandemic has been nothing but a blessing in disguise because I'm hungrier than ever. I'm getting stronger than ever. I'm working out harder than ever. And that's because, you know, you just you tend to take things for granted. You get complacent. And then when the government just goes and takes it all away from you, I mean, my whole life, my whole way of living was taken away from me in one weekend. I just, I just, I did a show in Tijuana, Mexico. I got home, I had a cold, I felt poor, so I canceled my show to Vegas. Well, guess what? That, that Las Vegas show was the last independent show to happen since. And a bunch of guys were on it, and I'm sure it was a great show. I wish I would have done it, but because I had a cold and I felt sick, I felt in my it was in my best interest, you know, everybody else to not be getting on an airplane, you know, coughing and sneezing and shit. Right. Yeah. But any other day, any other year, I would never cancel a booking for a fucking cold. You know what I mean? I'm a warrior. I'm a soldier. I've never canceled a booking. I canceled one booking, I think, at the beginning of my career because I didn't plot out the logistics right. And I would have had to drive from, like, Wisconsin to, like, Cleveland and back or some crazy shit. I don't know. But either way, I've only ever canceled one booking, and that was the second booking I canceled. And it felt terrible, but <clears throat> I was just frozen. I couldn't get on. I had my bags packed and everything. But I couldn't order that lift because I knew that I was sniffling and I was sneezing and I had a headache and a sore throat and who knows what I had. It was just it was just it was, the it was yeah. not the time to, to take risks because when that COVID <laughs> broke, anyone with a cough or a sneeze was getting double looks from everybody. So Oh, they uh, could have taken me and put me in fucking into a cell or something or in quarantine. Right. It was just a risky time. I wasn't going to get on a plane with a, with a sneeze, you know? And you, you did the right thing. But, but Brian, I wanted to ask you a follow-up if I could. Um, what's your, if you can talk about this, if you can't, that's fine. But right now, are you under contract with MLW exclusively? Are they on hold? Is it an open contract? Is it just show up and we'll pay you? Because um, Yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I signed with them for three years. Three okay. years, 30 shows, you know, um, but because this is happening, this is happening right at the third year mark. So, yeah, they're, what they're, you know, they're, they're hoping that to, you know, we can get through this and we can get back into shows. And I kind of like their approach of doing, they don't want to do no fan shows. 
they they do not want to have a single show where fans are not paid. And I think too that that Good. I respect that because I never ever 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 wanted to wrestle in front of no fans. Now you throw the boys in the mix, you throw a bunch of guys out there talking shit. I think that makes it a little fun. I can go out there and wrestle and try to pop the boys. And if I'm on TV, you know, the people at home can be entertained. As long as there's some noise out there, you know, right. a little background, a little cheer, a little boo, you know, it's like, yeah. okay, you can wrestle, you know, they're not, you know, they can't hear my every breath out there. You know, give us a little noise in the background. So Brian, I think it's, it's a little the- too little, too late for WWE. What do you mean? As far as bringing people in for, uh, you know, for, for ambient crowd noise? No, I mean, I, I think that they they did that, and I think that people gave them positive feedback for it. So I think they'll continue to do it. Go ahead, Mikey. I, well, I guess maybe what Angelo is getting at is, is it too late for WWE to save face with some of the fans that might have tuned out? But I guess that's up to the fans of, of yeah, WWE to decide. You no, know, it, 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 it's a continuous product. It's a product that's been around for... You know, shoot, I don't know how many years the WWF's been around. Maybe 1963. You know, so it's like, are they going anywhere? I don't think so. Are they going to face a decline? Are they going to face a rise based on the business decisions they make? Yeah. But I think it was a good business decision to put some some goons in the crowd, even if they are workers, you know. I think it was a good business decision. And whether the fake viewers come back or not, I don't know. But the company's going to be there, you know. In 10 years, in 20 yeah. years, you know. Yeah. So it's like, is it too little too late? Well, it's never too late to go to the WWE. It's never too late for them to to increase their brand. Uh, Vince McMahon is is he's he's marketing to a global audience. You know what I mean? He's he's sure. he, he's he's pushing people that are Hispanic, he's pushing people that are Indian, he's pushing people that are, you know, Bulgarian, every single nationality. He's a very uh, global marketing kind of person. So you know, he's going to test all these things in different areas. You know, he's not just going to make a decision just because, you know, people are saying on Twitter, you know, Twitter and Instagram, they only make up a small percentage of the actual fans that are watching. Right. So that's something you got to think about, too. And, and, and come, I'm from I come from a corporate world. I work for a Fortune 50 company. And a lot of decisions that people think that, oh, like they're online, like booking, just like even as much as even little things like the booking decisions um, might be influenced by an actual business data analyst, somebody that looks at data. You know, they look at how many likes and retweets a picture of Roman Reigns gets versus uh, a tweet about Dolph Ziggler. And then they weigh that against the market in India and and they do data. and, And there's just so many numbers that go yeah. into these decisions that I have to laugh at, at fans and even some of the people in the business that criticize, you know, the, you know, the journalists and all that, and, and they, they, they criticize the decisions that, that the WWE makes. And I'm like, dude, they, they've got eight people that are each paid 80,000 or more a year to look at a bunch of numbers to decide what the best. Well, you know, Brian, you, you mentioned something really important there, the social media aspect of it. You know, that, that's a relatively new thing, you know, mm-hmm. uh, relatively speaking. Yeah. With so, so, what did you say? When, when was the WWF around? 1962? 1963, they had uh, yeah. Bruno beat Buddy Rogers in May of 63. And it's Rogers actually only had been around since 1961, if we want to. Yeah, know, exactly. So, what, and how long has social media been a huge thing since about 
what, well, he, here's the, where I was going with that. You know, how important is social media in the overall product or the development thereof, given yeah. the fact that it's a, a fairly new thing mm -hmm. with regard to the to the wrestling product? We were just talking uh, before you joined us about particular individuals in social media who, for whatever reason, people listen to. I don't know why. But they do. And it seems to me that these, you know, um, faceless big mouths in the wilderness are garnering the attention of not only the, the larger federations, but everybody seems to be listening to them. And I don't understand for the life of me why you would listen to some guy that's never been into a ring. That's never had a fight in his life. What makes him an expert? Why? Because he's yeah. got, you know, a hundred thousand idiots. Yeah, that are going to become blind videos. So to talk on that point, that's where I'll say that social media uh, is is not necessarily great for the corporation, right? It's 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 more it's more of a Mm -hmm. of a bonus for the boys and for the fans and it sort of evens the playing field right you know well, before yeah, social know media, how to work it sure yeah all the right. marketing everything you were seeing and looking at was created by you know the wwe through their marketing campaigns and, and how yeah. they controlled everything well now you give every pro wrestler you give every fan you give everybody you give every commentator you give every single guy that's ever had a drop of coffee in the business or even bought it just bought a ticket they all have a marketing tablet they have a marketing tool in their in the palm yeah. of their hands and they have global reach and so now that kind of evens the playing field right now the boys can build their brand on their own they can build their brand on the independence they can get booked through these other shows so what does WWE have to do? They have to keep up with that. They have to follow suit with the social media. They have to dominate the social media. So that way, you know, they maintain the marketing monopoly there. Right. But social media has been great for evening the playing field. And that's why the independent scene has seen a rise in popularity. And guys like me can make a living on it. I know tons of guys that don't have a famous last name that make a living on the indies because they're great workers and, and they're phenomenal wrestlers. But, well, guys know, like years ago, Ryan that are, you know, uh, of the old fart generation who remember wrestling as a certain way uh, and a certain mindset mm -hmm. and perhaps who don't quite, and quite frankly, I'll just be honest, I don't understand, uh, nor do I think I really want to understand uh, how social media works. I'm not real good at it. That's why Mikey Messier takes care of our stuff. Well, hey, you're on you're on a podcast here. That that in and of itself is is a relatively new, you know, kind of form of media. Yeah. Well, yeah. The, the thing though is, like, uh, you don't need to own a radio network anymore to have your own radio show. Well, right? Yeah. Well, I was just going to tell you, I I made my living for many many years in radio. Mm -hmm. I've worked in two industries my whole life, Brian: wrestling and music. That's it. And I, I understand marketing. Mm -hmm. I understand promotion. What I don't understand is how social media makes the product better, if it makes it better, and what's to be gained from a uh, an Instagram or a, a 
Twitter or Facebook, God forbid. Yeah, I wouldn't say that uh, it makes, you know, the wrestling product that, you know, you see it on TV better as much as it just allows the talent to get themselves over and allows them to engage with the crowds without it needing to be approved. You know what I mean? Undertaker went his whole career without needing a Twitter or an Instagram. But why yeah, is that? Yeah, Brian, because he was you know, one of the things I harp about a lot, and you can ask Mikey and Dan, they'll tell you ad, ad nauseum, is uh, I harp on the fact that you've got these keyboard warriors, every one of whom is an expert on wrestling. Oh, they're terrible, yeah. Okay? That's my issue with social media. That's my issue. The bigger issue is there are dipshits out there listening to other dipshits and accepting their bullshit as fact. Yeah. Right. So, that's, Dan, that's go ahead deep. and I'm going to let you pick up, Dan, because you have a much calmer demeanor than I do because I'm going to get myself <laughs> fired up. Well, I, I think that's that's key. And, you know, like, like Brian mentioned how some people haven't <sighs> needed it. Um, I think social media has been one of the bigger double-bladed swords in wrestling for every – a talented performer that's been able to get picked up on YouTube or get seen through a Facebook share uh, and, and made the business better. Unfortunately, there's some people today that we've talked about on the show that have, in, in I guess, our opinions or my opinion, made wrestling wor worse. Those people wouldn't exist without social media either. The niche markets that, that wrestlers are able to market to, these Exactly, uh, jumping my off point. their own, jumping off their own houses through us through a pyramid of light bulb, mud mud show I idiots. Th no one would ever watch that video if they if the platforms like YouTube didn't exist. They're able to get their names out there because of it, and it, it does damage. At the same time, some of the more talented indie wrestlers. There's been cases of AEW and WWE, New Japan, some of these big organizations signing people who a producer saw on YouTube or saw scrolling through Facebook, you know, uh, in, in a, in a, in a performance. That's how you get hired. Yeah. What's that? So that's how you get hired, you know? Yeah, exactly. You know, hire the guy with 100,000 followers or we're going to hire the guy with 1,500 followers, you know? Doesn't yeah. matter who's doesn't matter who's more qualified. You know, this guy tweets something out. It's going to get, it's going to get but seen. That, this that, 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 it's that, Brian, that's exactly, that is exactly my point. Mm -hmm. And and that's what I was trying to drive before. It talent is irrespective now. Yeah. Right. And and a guy like you, let's I don't I don't know how many followers yet, but just for shits and giggles, let's say you had a hundred thousand followers. Yeah. Okay. And say you're really good at what you do. <clears throat> but there's some idiot who jumps off the second floor of the mall. <laughs> now now no he's got specific. a million hits, okay? Yeah, hypothetically. So some promoter somewhere is going to pay this asshole to jump off the second balcony of his building somewhere because he's got a million hits. Oh, he's going. To, I'm going to sell tickets. Oh, people are going to come to see him. Right. It doesn't matter. He can fucking work. Yeah. And, and this is where I can. I'll tell you the answer to that, and it's been the number one rule. Since yeah. wrestling was ever anything, and I talked about it this weekend with Enzo, and it was the most important advice that Stone Cold Steve Austin gave me. 
and it, and it, it is simple as and it just and it's even more important now with social media but even back then it was still super important it, nothing else matters but getting over your number one goal when you go out there is to get over whether you do it with your cell phone or you do it with your entrance theme or you do it by being jacked to the gills or you do it by being funny or saying that you're a demon that communicates with people with Dan Housen. You know what I mean? Dan Housen got over. You know, people get over. If you get over, you get over. I don't care. You might have got over because you were a midget, you know, you're like a legal midget. Or you might have got over because you're the great colleague. You know, yeah. Right. I don't think anybody uses great colleague footage when they're training people and how to work. You know, yeah. But guess what? Exactly. <laughs> you got over as eight foot tall. You know, Odd, oddly enough, I actually enjoy the Pujambi uh, prison match he had with Batista. I will admit I love, to I that. Love yeah. I think he's great. I think he's a phenomenal. And I think he's a spectacular specimen to look at. Mm-hmm. And if you could put somebody in the ring, that's just oh my god, look at that. You know, it, it's like one of the eighth wonders of the world. It's like that's what wrestling's all about. You right. know, there's a I, I can show you a million guys who can roll perfectly and Irish whip and work and sell and do everything right, but if you're not over, what's the point? Or are know? they going to put asses like, in seats? Yeah, is somebody going to buy a ticket to see that, or is somebody just going to super, super duper respect it? Well, know? that's always the question I ask on this show, and I've said it many times: the difference between getting over and being over. Mm-hmm. From Brian, and, 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 don't and, and, have that. Do you want to talk about the balcony dive? Yeah. That kid got over, but how long was that? You know, was that a sustainable well, that, way of getting well, over? No. He was over for question I have. And he doesn't have a hundred thousand dollar contract, so right. that over, you know. Yeah, well, and that's my point. You know, def- define what is over. You gotta I, have a sustainable it, way of getting over every time you go through the curtain. You can't go through the curtain and jump off a balcony every single match. Brian, I have asked that question to just about every guest that's appeared on this show. And yeah. I have not gotten the same answer twice. Honestly. Well, how to get over? Yeah, I have not gotten the same answer twice. Well, the difference between getting over and being over. Well, look at Enzo. Look at his career. What did he do? He came through the curtain. He said the same exact phrase on a microphone every single night. He went through the curtain. Yeah. He probably would have said a bunch of other random shit every night. But the people in charge, the directors, the agents, the people that understand wrestling, the Vince McMahons of the world said, hey, don't mix it up. Say that same goddamn phrase every single night night, till everybody else. And when the crowd says it back to you when they know the lyrics to your song yeah they're over right people people want to relate people want to imitate yeah. what you're doing right you know people can do this people yeah. can put the pythons up people in the crowd can't go jump off a mall balcony you know that's not sure. a sustainable way to get over sure you're going to be remembered by that it's not um, a sustainable way to live brother i got Mick, news for you Mick foley is remembered for you know the big cage thing the big fall there but he was also already notorious for taking huge bumps and that's how he sustainably got over because he was so tough his body was made of of straight up diamond and he could i I just saw the motherfucker walking yeah at a convention a couple months ago and i'm like how do you even walk right well he can't that's the problem i seen him walk and i'm like i mean obviously he has a little trouble oh he's got a 
Brother, he, he has he a paid, lot of stuff. He paid his dues that way to get over. There's always a price, yeah. you know. There's always a price to get over. It, it depends. Are you going to be the guy that jumps off everything and, and, and is tough as nails every night of the, every every week? Every, every well, whatever you do to get over has to be able to. You have to be able to do it every night of the week. Well, to to the point I said uh, to a guest on the, on the show the other night said, uh, you know, are you going to remember your name when you're 30? Are you going to be able to walk when you're 35? Will you live to be 40? The chances are the answer is no to all the above if you keep up doing what you're doing. Mick Foley is extraordinarily fortunate that he's able to walk yeah. upright. Well, he's also a very, very intelligent person. And I think that he understood that his niche in the business was his ability to take pain and his ability to survive. And or maybe, maybe he's he not smart enough to know that he's hurting. Well, yeah, yeah. but I'm just, like I'm saying, everybody found their own way to get over, and that worked out for him. It what sure worked for is. him isn't going to work for Steve Austin. You know, it's yeah. what Steve Austin did to get over isn't going to work for anybody else. Right? Yeah. Dan, let's talk wrestling. Okay. Go for it. Well, going off uh, what Brian was talking about, it's 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 funny that you, you talk about going over, being over. I mean, you look at someone like uh, a Stone Cold Steve Austin, uh, Hulk Hogan, some of the some of the biggest names, biggest draws in the history of the business. No one is ever going to remember Hulk Hogan or Steve Austin for their technical in ring ability. They're going to remember the moments they can put together. I touched on a uh, couple weeks ago the the Rock and Roll Express winning the NWA tag titles on one of the episodes of Power. I don't remember for the life of me whether or not that was a good match. It was probably terrible, but let's, you know, I don't care because it told a story and that's all I cared about. It was the moment. I was in the moment and Ricky Morton can still do his thing all these years later. So, Brian, touching on that, where do you, as as a performer, as 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 you said, you mentioned earlier, you're training harder than you have before. You're working harder than you have before. Where do you start to blur the line between how to work the crowd and how to work the abilities? Excellent question. I taught you well, son. <laughs> I'm sorry. I totally got lost with that question. You well, said what I'm, what I'm asking is, is there's, there's performers that can work the crowd and there's performers that can go in the ring but maybe not have that aura about them. Um, mm -hmm. you, you mentioned you training with Lance Storm. I think he's a great example of someone yeah. who's remembered endlessly for his, being one of the best technical wrestlers in the history of the business, yeah. but not maybe not as much for his charisma, despite the fact okay. that he had it. It just well, wasn't the, the character. I'll tell you exactly what Lance told me. And, he, and he'll tell you that he was two-thirds you know, of a full package. And there's three, there's a triangle. There's a Venn diagram of, of, of attributes. And it just comes down to three things, right? Your in-ring ability, uh, your physique, how you look. And then the third thing is is the charisma and getting over with the people in, in, that, in that sense and cutting promos in that too. So Lance was exceptionally amazing physique, natural physique. Um, there's one star, gold star. And then the second gold star was he was probably one of the greatest, safest workers that ever lived when it comes to safety to action ratio. Yes, everything absolutely. he does, he, he didn't take risks that he knew were not safe risks, if that makes sense. Like he, okay. knew that, he knew that the bumps over time 
we're going to tear his body little by little, but he would not take a crazy bump if he knew that it could fuck him up that night. You know what I mean? So mm-hmm. talking about a guy that just, he's very smart about physics. He understands uh, gravity and shit because I've seen him control it with my own eyes. Like he's, he's a freak of nature and he also was a volleyball standout athlete. He's one of the highest jumping people I've ever seen in my life. So freakish athletic ability combined with freakish control over right. over your surrounding over over the ring over his opponent i mean he made other people look like they were better wrestlers than they were right and and a, a, an impressive physique where he would work out so much that you would think he's on steroids and he's never done a drop of steroids because i know the guy and he's the most pure human i've ever met in my life but i will say he's addicted to coffee and that's a huge <laughs> vice now I, I joke with him because he's like i've never done drugs in my life he drinks caffeine and I'm like, that is a drug. It, it makes you better at life. It's a performance enhancing drug that's just widely acceptable by the entire world. Like <laughs> but coffee, caffeine is a performance enhancing drug. Tell me, tell me any different. I see right, I'm about to enhance my ball. performance right now, Brian. Yeah, he's enhancing himself right now. You know what I mean? It's like you take a boner pill, that's a performance enhancing drug, right? Now. There you go. <laughs> is he a black coffee drinker? It looks like Brian. This. So, so, that's, so, that's, so that's the formula, right? You got to have two out of three, and if you have all three, then you're the perfect package. You're right. the you're Chris Jericho, right? Brian, I had a guy on the show the other night. Uh, we had a, a pro wrestling Hall of Famer on the show the other night, Doc Diamond, uh, Hall of Fame wrestler and trainer. And he was he's one of the guys that started the Monster Factory with Larry Sharp. Mm-hmm. I asked him a question. Doc, Guy comes into you, he plunks down his money, says, I want to be a wrestler. What's the first thing you teach him? Okay. Without hesitation, without hesitation, first thing he teaches him, who are you? Who are you? It's the first thing he teaches him. Who is this guy? Because if you don't know who you are, then how are they going to know who you are? And I said, Doc, what if you got a guy comes in, he's got great personality, he's full of energy, um, he can talk, he's got a look, but he can't work. What do you do with a guy like that? And without hesitation, and Mikey and Dan will tell you, he said, you make him a manager. So I'm going to ask you, what happened to the great managers? And have you ever run across a guy that had... That two out of three factor. He had the look, he had the physique, but he had uh, you know no no workable skill. Or maybe he was great on a mic but couldn't work in a ring. Oh, you're saying uh, physique and mic and no ring ring ability? Yeah. Hmm. Well, I don't know. I'd say that's a tough one. Um, but I'd say that. Maybe when I was first starting out to wrestle, I I was uh, in a in a sense like that because I was just training and learning. But I took to the promos very well, and I was natural at that. And I was already in better shape than everybody at the training camp. I was the best looking guy there. So um, I think when you maybe when you take a guy, uh, for instance, I got a lot of guys that I knew that I grew up with that are extremely charismatic, super funny really cocky guys that could talk shit and everything and they're also in great shape but they would have to learn you know the art of wrestling 
So I think, you know, when you come, when it comes to picking up random guys off the streets or from the gym, like a bodybuilder or something, they're probably going to be less knowledgeable about wrestling and work rate and everything, but they might be really good at those other two things. So, but what you have in wrestling a lot now is young kids that grew up as big fans. So they've seen all the matches, they've seen all the moves and they've been yeah. trying to train. They've been trying to break in since they were 12. So yeah. they are really good in ring skills. And, but because they were maybe a little more introverted growing up, they don't have the mic or maybe, they spent so much time training and, and, and watching film that they didn't take the working out as serious, you know. Brian, so, what's the one thing that makes a guy untrainable? I think untrainable. I mean, that's just, it just comes down to your attitude, right? And your, you know, your attention span, you know. If you're a guy like me that went to college and finished school and went and trained at a, at a, at a corporate job and, and was coachable there and got to do his, you know, got to make a living like that. If you could succeed at, at being a normal person, then you should be coachable enough to, to wrestle. But a lot of times people might get into wrestling for the wrong reasons, or maybe they, maybe they fail in a normal life. Maybe they didn't get good grades or, or succeed in college. So then they try to get into wrestling and then they find out that they're not very coachable because, well, they weren't coachable to begin with, you know. So yeah. Um, well, let's but, talk about what are the what are the right reasons to get into the business. If you think that you can do it and you have a certain look and you've got a certain level of charisma, what are what are the right reasons to get into the business? Well, for the longest time, it was to make some money. You know, you look back at all the old school guys. They weren't trying to take it too many bumps. They weren't trying to pop the boys. They were trying to work as little as they could and make the most money out of it and get every little drop out of every little pop. And every yeah. bump meant something. So if you look at the, you know, look at history, the, the best reason to get in the business was, was to get money and to get famous. I know that's why my dad, my dad was trying to be in the NFL. He loved yeah. football. He loved hockey. And he loved wrestling. But his main motivation was to make a living and, and, and to and to have a, a, you know a good life for his family and his kids. Yeah. And uh, all too often we lose sight of that today. Too many kids are willing to wrestle for little or no pay, and then they kill the business. And in turn, they might continue with their career of being passionate wrestlers, but they may never you know ask for a raise or they may never push for that you know they may never push for that big push because they're happy with just being a wrestler. Yeah, but back then guys weren't just happy going out there and breaking their necks. You know, they wanted to be paid a lot of money to do it. You know, so yeah, I think there's plenty of reasons people get in the business. I, I personally have a very important story. I have a very important reason to get in the business, but it's personal to me. Not everybody has a famous father that died on the road. You know, sure. My dad Absolutely. had a lot of work left to do, so I have kind of a personal. Uh, goal within myself to to finish that work and to finish that job but that's a very rare thing to happen you know so sure but at the end of the day i want to get paid too i, I want to help my aunt linda and help her with the taxes that she needs to pay that are backed up i want to help out my sister who's going through what she's going through and and get my family squared up because you know the, the death of my father was very tragic it did divide my family and put a lot of people in some financial situations. So yeah, there is a little bit of that too. You know, I, I've got a few goals in mind, and, and but the respect of my father and the respect of the boys 
and the respect of my peers in the business is one of the most important things to me as well. So, right. I'm not just going out there to say I'm a pro wrestler. Like I'm not just like, I didn't grow up like watching wrestling every night. You know, I grew up on the streets in trouble and shit. Yeah. 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 I had a tougher upbringing. I wasn't just sitting at home you know, watching wrestling because I thought wrestling was the enemy. I thought it killed my father. Let me go, Neko, guys. Go, Neko. Go, Neko. Is it me? No, I think, Angelo, do you have a second phone on or something? Oh, here we go. We're good. Hey, Brian, I, I wanted to get back in there. Um, I know Angelo's taking the night off from interviewing tonight, so I wanted to ask a question. Do my it's okay. I was running late. It's not a <laughs> He's tired. Um, Brian, this was a topic I didn't, wasn't sure about bringing up, but you just did, which was your family history. And as a, as a longtime Brian Pillman fan, you know, your father, I get the action figure right there, the stomp. Oh, yeah, brother. The yeah. stomps are classic. Well, I've got one tattooed on my leg for crying out loud of Pillman, Brian Pillman. Um, but your situation with your mom going on Monday Night Raw, you've talked about it before in, in interviews with um, different, you know, Chris and everybody else. Um, yeah. But I, I guess I just want to follow up. Now that you've gotten some success, you're wrestling regularly from, from, for MLW. Um, you're in that AEW Battle Royal at uh, one point. Who knows what the future might bring for you? I just hope that, you know, you know, I kind of grew up in a dysfunctional family myself. So I'm pulling for you and your family that even if things aren't perfect with everybody, everybody gets somewhat along. Is there anything you want to say about the update to the, the family situation? Or is that something you want to leave off the books? Something you want to leave off the books. Angelo? Yeah. You got that echo? I still hear the echo. There we go. We got it. We're good. Yeah, we had a little issue here. We're good. Go ahead. Continue. I guess I was just asking Brian if that family. Do you want an update on the family situation? Yeah, if that's something you want to talk about. I was well, no, it's absolutely. I mean, it's, a, it's, a big, it's a big reason that I'm in this business. And, and I'm trying to, you know, I mean, I'm trying to, trying to build something back up. I'm trying to create a family within the Pillman name again. Uh, my mother did a great job at tearing it apart. She did everything she could to ruin everything and burn every bridge. But as you can see, I'm reconnecting with a lot of the brothers, a lot of the guys in the business, and I'm rebuilding those bridges and I'm rebuilding the Pillman name. So um, as I've grown older and gotten more mature, I've, I've learned to you know, forgive my mother and I've reestablished a, a good relationship with her. You know, and uh, in return, she's given me stories and, and little secrets about her interactions with people in the business long, long ago. You know, how she got to know Triple H and Vince and different guys. And it's always nice to hear those little insights. So it just kind of starts with me maturing and understanding the goals that are at hand and, and understanding that I can't change her. Um, so I just have to accept her. And my sister, Brittany, has been doing really well. You know, she's got a boyfriend now. And, and all those, all the, all the things that kind of damaged us when we were younger, we're starting to outgrow and we're starting to discipline ourselves to be better people. You know, I had a yeah. lot of bad habits growing up. I got in a lot of trouble. Um, could have been worse though. Could have got, I could have ended up with the wrong crowd, but I always had this longing for excellence and I always was drawn to 
you know, the football players and, 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 and you know, showing up on time. And, and my uncle, Mike, you know, he's 70 years old. He would always get on me for shit, you know, and it was like you had to have good grades to play football. You had to have good grades to play on the lacrosse team in college. So um, through the pursuit of athleticism and, and greatness and excellence in those fields, I was able to achieve an education and, uh, and so to speak, kind of, you know, bring some credibility to who I am as a person. I think having a college degree would be great going into any company. That we yeah, hire. absolutely. I can do any well, there. Dan, I'm going to give you the last round. Okay. You got it, kid. All right. Um, well, I guess as we, we wrap up here, uh, I was hoping you, you could expand a bit now on Mike touched on your contract and Angelo was talking about, you know, the evolution and, and all. We really wanted to get into your goals and how you're going to get there. Mm -hmm. So final question and now, as the world starts to reopen, what uh, what is your main goal, say, by the end of the year? And, and how does how do you plan on working towards it? Well, I'll tell you, uh, being a part of MLW, MLW is a very, very ambitious company. Uh, they were very ambitious to bring me on early in my career. And they were they, they put me out on TV before maybe other companies would have thought I was ready. But they allowed me to mature and they allowed me to kind of come into my own. And for that fact alone, I think it's very possible that I could be the face of MLW, be the face of the company uh, within the next couple of years. Now, you know, with the virus and everything going on and, and all that, you know, I don't know what, 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 the, what the future holds in the immediate future, but I know that they're working on a deal uh, with me and it, I'll decide whether it's the right deal for me going forward but so far the company's taking great care of me uh they protected me they put me with all the right guys they never tried to bury me so as far as i'm concerned if everything lines up with them you'll see me with them for at least another year or two and try to be on top of that company before i bridge over to the next one but you never know things might not see eye to eye i don't know i'm gonna i'm gonna keep talking with them and figuring out you know this whole pandemic has thrown a wrench into everything yeah. Um, and as much as I love the company and want to stay there, um, I can't tell you exactly how, how that's going to happen or, or where I'm going to end up. So uh, right now I'm just trying to keep everything more or less under wraps, you know, and just happy to be a part, happy to have been a part of it. And I will be happy to continue being a part of MLW uh, if we can come to an agreement that satisfies me um, considering all the other options that are available within the wrestling marketplace might not be hiring due to this pandemic, or they might be looking right. for talent down the road. You know, I don't know, but I think the best case scenario is to just see what happens with the rest of the world opening up and, and start working out a, working out a deal with MLW. So sounds like a plan, Brian. Yeah. Maybe an extension of some sort, you know, just to kind of finish up the business we had planned yeah. and, and the cool storylines, you know, we were going to do a big hair match and stuff. And so, Lots on the rise, you know, and, and MLW is a very ambitious company. Absolutely. I believe they can get to the point where they're, you know, they're really paying guys some serious money. And I want to be one of those people on top of the business when they do. So, The company nice. has roots from 2001 with Dusty Rhodes in Florida, from what I understand. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But it's a Dusty. They had all kinds of history. So they're, they, they're always going to be a part of wrestling as far as the oh independent gosh, scene bro. goes. They'll always be a bridge to the bit to the 
to the bigger companies. And, and if all goes well, they'll be they'll be competing with those bigger companies before too long. So, I actually wow. was uh, friends when I was younger with Rich Bohini, the commentator. Oh, he's Rich, the best. Yeah. Rich Bohini and I went to a hockey game because uh, Rich was a huge hockey fan as well. In fact, yeah. he used to do hockey commentary. We were uh, buddies in Rhode Island before he moved on. So yeah. congratulations to everyone at MLW because the product shows that the people there work hard. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's a really fun atmosphere. I, I love the way that they respect wrestling. And, and uh, Court is very much the uh, same mindset as Vince, you know, and how we're going to tell stories and how we're going to make money for guys. And, and I think Vince is obviously – the most successful promoter in the world. So if I got a guy that's, sure. that used to learn under him, then uh, we got a pretty smart guy running MLW. Awesome. Yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, I have no doubt that you'll succeed no matter where you go. I really, really believe that. And I want to thank you for joining us and you are uh, uh, welcome back here anytime. And I'm sure we're going to bring you back. I have no doubt about that. So, uh, I will give you the opportunity. Plug away, my friend. Plug away. Hell yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Uh, you know, you can follow me on Instagram at FlyingBrian41 or Twitter at FlyingBrianJr. And I think we have another one of these scheduled as well, right? I believe we do. Well, awesome. I look forward to being on that one. And what day yes, will we be sir. doing that? I guess down the road. Hell, I'd bring it back every week if I could afford you. <laughs> <laughs> Mike Messier, promote uh, your your stuff <laughs> like I need you to promote your stuff. Go ahead. Well, MikeMessier.com for all your Mike Messier needs, wants, and desires. Um, for those who are listening to us on the audio podcast world, please subscribe and like to both the Wrestling with the Future youtube channel because you can see some cool mike messier movies on that channel as well as mike messier youtube channel and uh avalonia film festival my film festival is still accepting submissions there is a pro wrestling category uh, which is named uh, the ox nelson and dano award after three friends of mine from the world of pro wrestling that are no longer with us ox baker nelson frazier aka viscera aka miss uh, mabel and uh, Danovich, Brian Danovich, was a friend of mine that I met. We were actually starting to do a podcast together two summers ago, and he passed away a month later. So hopefully that's not a curse to anybody here. But, uh, you know, just, just doing more good stuff and uh, happy to be here. Not. Yes. And uh, I just want to mention real quick, as far as the Brian Pillman Sr. collection of matches, I think he wrestled Tom Zenk for the NW, uh, for the WCW junior heavyweight title I want to say it's Super Brawl 2 Hi Mikey we're we're not going to do that tonight Well I just wanted to give a shout out to that Oh go ahead go ahead I already did and go ahead. Uh, just, just as a longtime Brian Pillman senior fan it's such a thrill to talk to his son his legacy and watching that tournament tonight or today uh, that uh, Stu Hup, Stu Hart Cup Opera Cup there's some really good matches in that thing. So I'd suggest I appreciate you that. check that out. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Absolutely. MLW.com. Uh, MLW on YouTube. Check out my recent match with Fatu. Uh, oh, yeah. One of, my, one of my better matches that I believe that I performed my killer. best. I almost won the title there, but they had to stop me. You know, somebody, somebody had to stop me from getting that mm. title. And uh, also, re most recent match was in Tijuana, Mexico with Davey Boy Smith Jr., Against El Tejano 
and Escorpion. So that's a fun little tag match. I'm not the most tag wrestler in the world, but I'm getting better. And uh, you're going to see a lot more of that from me in the future. All right. And Dan, the man, you are up. Well, like Mikey said, Wrestling with the Future, we're on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter at Wrestling Future. That's no G. I'm on Twitter, the man underscore WWTF. So don't forget to like, share, and subscribe. Buy the T-shirt. Yes, sir. Uh, back to you, Angela. All right. Well, for Brian Pillman Jr., for Mr. Marvelous himself, Mike Messier, mm-hmm. you know, if uh, if his name was a website, it would be MikeMessier.com. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> right, th- thank you guys for having me. I appreciate it. Thanks, Brian. Well, I'll try not to be late. And, uh, and Dan, once again, is uh, the man underscore WWTF on Twitter. And uh, for myself, it's Angelo DeCipio on Facebook, Psychic Angelo on Twitter, at Wrestling Future on Twitter. We are available everywhere podcasts can be heard. We are right now on 122 platforms worldwide. And later this week, I have a very, very special announcement to make. Thursday evening, we will have the Memphis Flash himself. Superstar Bill Dundee will be here for the entire show. Great guy. So, for Brian Pillman, for Mike Messier, and for Dan the Man. Take care, everybody. Good night. And happy wrestling. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye.